Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for the uh, Wednesday afternoon, 10th of November. Big show today coming up with lots of Winnipeg Jets and a hockey talk for you. Dave Poulin of TSN Sports, one of our favorites, going to pop by in just a few minutes to uh, talk Jets as well as maybe a bit more of the landscape of the National Hockey League. Might even get into a little Team Canada for the Olympics. Uh, and then our good friend Murat Tesh of The Athletic joining us a little later on with more on the Jets coming out of their oh, shootout loss to the St. Louis Blues and ahead to Thursday's game against the San Jose Sharks. Um, I did want to mention to you that tomorrow, with it being Remembrance Day, um, we won't be doing a regular show. Um, you know, the timing with everything, with the services in the morning, pushing it right into one o'clock, I think was going to be quite difficult for us. And um, to be honest, I think it's important that we all kind of take time to um, remember the incredible sacrifices of so many that have come before us that allow us the uh, opportunities that we have today. Uh, even in today's climate, um, we do have a pretty good here in Canada and here in Winnipeg. Um, so tomorrow, we won't be doing a show, but we'll have a massive show on Friday. Marshall Ferguson from TSN with the latest on the Bombers, the CFL landscape hitting into the weekend. Huge game in the East with the Ticats and the Toronto Argonauts. And of course, the Bombers with uh, their second last regular season game going back at it in Montreal against the Alouettes. Might even get into a little NFL with Marsh, but I'm really looking forward to that. And we'll also have Jacob Stoller join us. Jacob's been doing a great job. Winnipeg native out east right now, um, covering the American Hockey League, especially the Manitoba Moose. And you got a great piece on Cole Perfetti um, and what he's working on, how he's playing with the Manitoba Moose and his development. So we'll get to that and some more Moose talk. Uh, and of course, Ken Weeb's going to join us heading into the game against the Kings on Saturday night with a full recap of everything that's going on on Thursday's show for um, when the Jets take on the uh, <clears throat> the San Jose Sharks. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to make a note about Remembrance Day quickly before we get into it. Um, there is, uh, you know, it's very easy to, and especially, you know, of my generation and especially even younger people, um, you know, that really haven't been, you know, involved in a world war or, um, you know, anything. I mean, I remember as a real, you know, as a young child, um, you heard the stories coming out of Vietnam, but it was still nothing that was really, I think, a part of, you know, anything that I grew up with. And, you know, I think over the course of the years, the incredible sacrifices of so many that came before us, I don't want to say have been lost, but I think it's even more important today uh, in today's day and age um, to to spend that time, uh, whether you go to a service, whether you take a couple hours watching the services. Of course, the weather on Thursday looks like it's going to be horrible in the city of Winnipeg, and that's another big story around here. Uh, but for us at Winnipeg Sports Talk, <clears throat> we figured the right thing to do would be uh, taking some time uh, away from the program, allowing people to do what's important, and that, of course, is um, spending some time remembering the incredible sacrifices. And uh, uh, of course, I was running around today. I'm, you know, I'm a notorious habitual poppy loser. Um, and uh, it was difficult to find poppies. I went by one of the legions. It was closed due to code red. Uh, I have to thank the folks at Scotiabank who I finally did find it. I thought they'd be at Walmart. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be there. Um, but if you haven't already, 
um, it's probably a great time and something that I think if you are able to, to make a donation to the legions, uh, you can go online to legion.ca. They've got some great online programs as well, or get the online poppy going on to uh, prevent that for, uh, to uh, promote that for Remembrance Day as um, we across the country take time to remember those that came before us. And, you know, I'll also say uh, our good friend, the Earl of Eli, um, who has been with us for, um, well, for a long time. He was out today, and I'll give a shout out to the folks at Mr. Lube. Um, they were doing uh, free services, uh, loop services for members of the Canadian Forces today. Uh, there was plenty of those out there. Uh, but this this really kind of hit me today, and I just want to give this to all of you before we move on to uh, our uh, the fun part of the job, and that's talking sports and jets and all this stuff. Uh, Earl tweeted this earlier today. I'm a veteran, and a veteran is someone who at one point in their life wrote a blank check payable to Canada for an amount up to and including their life. Think about that for a minute. Regardless of personal political views, it's an honor to serve one's country, and we are eternally grateful to Earl and everyone else that's done that beforehand. All right, uh, we've got lots to get to. Let's get Remus in here. Uh, before we do that, I will thank all of our great sponsors, including our newest sponsor, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market with seven locations in Winnipeg, along with Culligan Water. Stay hydrated, folks. We've got to do it. Remus has got the new Culligan set up at the uh, Remus Shack. Very pleased with that. Manitoba Battery, Donnie and the Guys, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, of course, our friends at Princess Auto have got some good curling news coming up later on for Princess Auto. We'll let you know about Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course, our betting partner over at Cool Bet Canada. Uh, lots to get to today, including a, a tough one at the office for the Winnipeg Jets against the St. Louis Blues. Practice today. We'll hope to hear from Paul Maurice later on towards the end of the program. And of course, the final regular season matchup between the Winnipeg Jets and the San Jose Sharks, which we'll talk about with Marat Atesh a little bit later on. But uh, let's get the show on the road and welcome Michael Remus into the program. Remus, what's up? Uh, so I'm just here uh, trying to stay updated on the, the Jets practice. It's going on now. Uh, no Shifley, Ehlers, or Stasny on the ice. We'll, we'll wait and see. Ehlers, I think he got banged up there uh, close to the end of the game. And Shifley, maybe just maintenance, and Stasny, I mean, he didn't play yesterday. So uh, we'll we'll keep updated. But, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm thinking about last night's game. You know, we've had a lot of reaction on our social media, Facebook and Instagram. So follow us there if you're not already. But I think the consensus is, Hus, I mean, the process was good for the game. You just didn't get the result. And that's not including overtime. Overtime was not was not good process. <laughs> I don't think the what Jets— What happened? I don't, know, I don't know what happened in overtime. But the game, I mean— the chances, uh, Neil Pionk, I mean, this guy, if you weren't sold on the Jacob Truba trade before, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, Neil Pionk, I mean, he scored, he almost had another, um, he's been fantastic, he signed the contract, I mean, he's throwing his body around, um, you know, hitting guys. I the really like The spinorama on yeah. the first goal was, I mean, if yeah. you were old enough to remember, and listen, I'll say this, Serge Savard in his time in Winnipeg, and again, he was at the end of his career, Never turned the trick like the Pionky Tonk man did last night. Well, that was one hell of a play. And you know what? At that time, Remus, man, did the Jets need it. Because as you mentioned, they were playing really well. I mean, the first period was sort of back and forth. I mean, I don't think any team was much better than the other. But the minute the puck dropped in the second period, I mean, the Jets were on it. And I mean, the amount of grade A scoring chances they created, um, you know, was going to win you most hockey games. Um, but 
I mean, to your point, I mean, Pionk getting things going, getting that spin around a goal, making it happen, tying the game up. Uh, and then the Jets with a nice goal from Kyle Connor after a million grade-A scoring chances, it seems. Seemed like they had the game in hand. Um, but, you know, one mistake is all it takes, unfortunately. And that happened, kind of victimizing Dylan DeMello and Logan Stanley for the tying goal. Uh, but again, the Jets were all over St. Louis. And, you know, they ended up getting to the end of 60. But to your point, um, I, I still can't believe what we saw in the overtime period. I mean, we are so used to the Jets being a dominant overtime team and they never even touched the puck after about the first shift. Um, I believe the shots were 10 one and that is a ridiculous number and shout out to Connor Hellebuck. I mean, I know he probably would have liked to have that first goal back, uh, which was a power play goal. Unfortunate for the guys in the PK. Cause I think that PK overall was pretty good. Um, but the overtime was so slanted and um, you know, there were a lot of long, long shifts by players that just simply weren't able to get the puck on their stick, weren't able to clear it, and weren't able to get to their bench. And that meant a ton of rubber going at Connor Hellebuck. Credit to him, though. He kept the team in the game. They went to the shootout. And, man, what a difference. We were kind of joking. Well, I was, wasn't was joking at all because I lost a sweet ticket on it last week with Jordan Bennington being unable to make even a single save in the damn shootout. Last night, he was perfect, much like he was all night. And I probably wasn't the only person that woke up at one point in the middle of the night going, God damn, Bennington. Yeah, a couple of things. One, I mean, the game kind of reminded me of, I kept getting flashbacks to the Jets 2019 playoff series versus oh, no. St. Louis. Oh, no, um, please, I don't no. Wanna, I got to bring this up. Jordan, first of all, Jordan Bennington, I mean, he we know he led them to the cup final, but I would say game five was the regular regulation last night where, you know, St. Louis scores after the Jets, you know, outplayed them. And then overtime reminded me of Game Six of that that playoff oh, series, no. where the Jets uh, didn't show up, show it up, and uh, got blown out. But I, uh, you know, it's a regular season game. I liked what I saw from a lot of the Jets. Couldn't quite put one past them. You know, maybe the first one, Hellbuck, uh, you'd like maybe like to have him back. Murat posted a nice tweet. I think Pionk's defensive uh, coverage was he got him and Toninato or Tony Nato got kind of mixed up there. But, uh, you know, Kairou, that guy, he's looking great. Buchnevich, they had nice chemistry. Buchnevich was awesome last uh, but, night. Uh, I mean, without Buchnevich, that's a mm, shutout, period, straight up. But, yeah, that was um, the overtime. You're kind of like, what happened in the shoot? I agree. I watched Bennington against the, the Kings last week get scored on, you know, most of them except for one hit the post. Um, you know, Connor had a nice move. Um, you know, Wheeler Wheeler went in at the end, you know, with a chance. Uh, Shifley had, you got stopped. Dubois got stopped. It was a tough one. I mean, you don't score in the shootout. You're really not going to win games. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you lost, but I thought they played played well enough to win. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you're not going to win every game. So I don't know how. Uh, just keep playing the way that they saw, they played yesterday. And, you know, you should be in good shape going forward. Jeff Cabilla says in chat, flashbacks, yes. I mean, there's nothing hockey-related that triggers me more than mentions of Game 5 and Game 6 of the 2019 bring series against St. Louis. And Kavillas Huss is going to flip his desk soon. Uh, well, I wasn't flipping, but I, I will say this. I mean, I, I did leave last night, like most people, going, and I saw this a million times, like, how the hell did they lose that game? Mm -hmm. I mean, but I'll tell you how. Jordan Bennington, a guy that most of us can't stand, an incredible hothead, and not a guy that's consistently that good, Stood in his head last night and basically stole two points for uh, for the St. Louis Blues. Um, but Paul Maurice spoke about it afterwards, and he said, you know, those last couple periods, 
I mean, the video that they'll be using from that is to show just, you know, exactly the way that he'd like to play. If they do that on a consistent basis, this team will be in the playoffs. They'll be winning more than their fair share of hockey games. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. Uh, it, big two points, though, for St. Louis, Remo, as we talked about, you know, listen, I know we're in early November, but these divisional games can all be incredibly important at the end of 82. And, you know, I think there's certainly some, uh, you know, element of a lost opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets to close it out in regulation. And that, to me, was what was really disappointing. I mean, they were in such total control of that game. And uh, for Buchnevich to sort of turn around uh, Dylan DeMello, get the puck through. And Logan Stanley, I'm a fan of Logan Stanley, but you got to have that guy stick. I mean, you just simply cannot allow a guy that you have right there with all that size, get that puck and put it in. I mean, it was a two-on-two with great coverage by the Winnipeg Jet defenders. They just didn't have the details, right? And credit to St. Louis for making it happen. Um, and as, you know, as disappointed as Hellebuck might have been, to let that one in, as we mentioned, um, he kind of rose to the Bennington level throughout overtime because it was one after another at the Winnipeg Jet Net. I can't remember an overtime where a team had double digits and shots, but that was the case last night. And that was a complete reversal from what we saw in the last 40 minutes of that hockey game. Yeah, I think that's why I was so puzzling because the Jets really took it to him, especially in the in the uh, second period. I mean, you look at high danger shot attempts. I mean, shots on goal. I mean, they played a great game, but uh, they couldn't score. Bennington was good. I guess that's good news if you're a fan of Team Canada at the Olympics and you've got Bennington, uh, what, on your prediction pool. Um, but they couldn't score, and, you know, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it looked good. Just keep keep doing what they did uh, what they did yesterday. I mean, how can you be, like, too – how can you be too angry about – I mean, you can be angry about the result, but, again, they had a ton of chances – um, they look good and just, yeah, though, I don't know what happened to overtime. I was expecting to see what we saw last week, uh, this high flying overtime, a lot of chances from the jets and did they even get a, like, did they even, I think they asked Wheeler after the game and he's like, we didn't touch the puck. I didn't see anything was his answer. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, it was the first shift. Uh, I believe Connor and Dubois went yeah. out. They had a couple chances. And after that, I don't know whether the jets touched the puck. And a big part of that was loose and face-offs. I think they a lot. I mean, they did get stoppages a few times. And Connor Hellebuck jumping on the puck after probably making two or three saves. And then they just couldn't win a face-off. So that was unfortunate. But I, I, I will say that's quite uncharacteristic of the Jets normally in overtime. I mean, their two overtime losses so far this season have been, you know, down a man due to, I mean, I guess one was a Pionk penalty. One was an Ehlers penalty. Um, and, you know, those four on three, uh, you know, man advantage is very difficult to score, especially where you're basically just playing for one point. Um, but all in all, though, I mean, a strong game for the Winnipeg Jets, but, you know, a result that, you know, you'd uh, like to like to have been different. Um, all yeah. that being said, the homestand continues coming up against the San Jose Sharks Thursday night and then the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday and then the Edmonton Oilers next Tuesday. And Remo, even the Oilers have off nights. And this, I'm not going to say this was an off night for the Winnipeg Jets because it wasn't. Um, but just there's a reason why they play the games. Uh, <laughs> Detroit beating Edmonton last night. Uh, who had that one on the card? Yeah, great. Uh, great question. I see a lot of people talking about, you know, Mark Shafley just before and still still goalless, had a couple chances, and Harkins moved up. I thought Harkins looked good. Uh, couldn't convert on his chances, but it seemed like nobody on the Jets could, except for what Kyle Connor on the one. But yeah, last night has none of the Canadian teams won. 
yesterday. The NHL's fixed. They hate Canada, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, I was expecting, you know, a lot of goals from the Oilers. Uh, yeah, even Connor McDavid has an off night. Uh, Phil Deneau had a nice return, got a standing O in Montreal, uh, now with the LA Kings. Calgary losing to the Sharks, who we're going to see here Thursday. And the Ducks uh, beating Vancouver. And the Ducks were in the news yesterday for some uh, off-ice stuff. So, yes, every Canadian team... Yeah. Team lost, so you know uh, we'll get back to much more on the Jets uh, later on when Murata Tash, as well as Dave Poulin, joins us. But uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Doug, uh, Ducks GM Bob Murray is uh, been placed on a leave of absence by the club pending the results of investigation. And what's interesting about this is um, I don't believe there is any. I mean, there's there's no abuse uh, allegations as far as I've heard. You know, certainly nothing like you know the horrible stories we've heard out of Chicago. Um, and I don't believe there's anything sexual of nature as well. But if what we're hearing is the is the case, Bob Murray is essentially being outed and investigated for being, for lack of a better term, an asshole. And there's a ton of people that have been through Ryan Whitney's and one of them that's been very outspoken about that. Um, but I hate to say it. Uh, if that is going to be the case, there's a lot of other people in hockey right now that are probably freaking out because, um, you know, in, in all seriousness, there's a lot of hard-ass dudes that have been working in the National Hockey League for a long time. And um, it will be interested to see if there's more to it than this or, I mean, it's just, just part of a bigger change when it comes to workplaces, offices, and even in the National Hockey League and NHL dressing rooms as to how that works. So. We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. Uh, before we do, I mentioned Vita Health, Fresh Market, our newest sponsor on Winnipeg Sports Talk. So great to have them. We know how important it is uh, to take care of oneself, both eating right as well as vitamins, supplements, and nutritional things. And Vita Health Fresh Market is stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices. With an incredibly knowledgeable staff trained on these products to help you out when you go to Vita Health. Hey, November is Men's Health Month, and Vita Health carries products to support prostate, energy, libido, stress management, and more. If you've got needs on that, talk to one of the experts at Vita Health. And if you're someone like me that doesn't like cooking very much, that needs to eat a little healthier, got an incredible grab and go deli with Vita Market salads, which are amazing, as well as the sandwiches. Uh, that can uh, be a big, big plus in your routine as well. Hey, Vita Health, a great local company that's been in business since 1936, 85 years of empowering people to lead healthy lives. Go visit them now at one of their seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, or visit them online at myvita.ca. Uh, and while we're talking about taking care of oneself, uh, maybe the most important thing when it comes to being healthy is uh, making sure you're getting enough water. And Culligan have been the experts of all things water in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba for 65 years. Uh, they're over at 1200 Sergeant Avenue. You can give them a call at 694-5180 and they will help you with everything you need for water services for you and your family. Softeners and filters whole home systems and drinking water systems, as well as bottled water coolers, bottle free coolers and water delivery services citywide when you need it. If you got a need for the office, they'll do that too. Commercial and industrial water products and solutions all there for you. So if you have water needs, 
Hewitt with Culligan, family-owned for 65 years here in Winnipeg. Find out more at drinkculligan.com or go see him at 1200 Sargent Avenue. And uh, all you need to do is look outside right now, folks. <laughs> the snow is here. We've had a an all-time fall, but unfortunately, winter has officially begun here in Winnipeg and southern Manitoba, and that means it's going to be cold very soon. While everyone's freaking out with their winter tires, I think what you might want to do is make sure that your battery is ready. And if you do need a battery for your vehicle or anything else, the experts at Manitoba Battery are there for you with the lowest prices in town. Don't waste your time spending more money at one of the big box stores like Costco. Shop local. Do it at Manitoba Battery. Uh, they've got best prices, as I said, $89.50 with Core Exchange picked up on Logan Avenue or delivered anywhere within the city, $109.50. And you'll get a $15 recycling rebate when the core is returned. Pop on down and see them. Get ready for winter at Manitoba Battery, 1026 Logan Avenue. Give them a call at 783-8787 or check them out online at manitobabattery.com. All right, let's talk some puck right now. Always a pleasure to welcome in one of our favorites from the TSN hockey team. It is longtime NHLer. Dave Poulin. Pooley, what's up? Thanks so much for making some time for us here in the peg on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Always a pleasure. How's my lighting in my hotel studio doing? Am I doing you, okay? You look wonderful. You sound great. <laughs> yeah, you, You're looking like a million U.S. tax-free, but that's uh, just par for the course with you, Dave. No, uh, no, it's all good. How have you been? And uh, where are you? What are you up to? Well, the where are the where am I is a great question because you know we're back full force traveling. So in the last, eh, I'm going to say, eleven days, I'm not quite sure how many cities I've been in. I was in San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A. with Montreal. Um, back here doing some panel work in Toronto, and then last night I was in Boston with Ottawa, and Ottawa put up a great effort there amidst their COVID ravaged team, and uh, lost three two. I'm in Montreal today. And I have uh, a little run of Calgary Flames. I have them tomorrow night for color broadcast against Montreal. Then I have them Friday night for the Hall of Fame game in Toronto. And then Sunday, I've got them against Ottawa. So I'm going to get a full force share of uh, Daryl Sutter and what he's got going on there. But it's just good to be back in the buildings and see people in the press rooms and get to chat. And you know what? It, it's it's a labor of love. What can I say? I've been doing it my whole life in some capacity, and, and it really is a labor of love. Well, you know, considering how busy you are, uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. This is a great chance to do it, and we've got a couple days before the next game. And I wouldn't mind talking about a number of the Canadian teams, but first off, I know you haven't been doing the Jets games, but you pay close attention to everything happening around. I mean, what do you make of uh, the Jets up until this start? What a dozen games into the season, heading into Thursday night, taking on the San Jose Sharks? I like what I see. I think there's a lot of positives. I think the two additions at defense have been really significant in what they bring and in the different elements they bring. And I know you're already figuring out Nate Schmidt a little bit, and teams need a Nate Schmidt. I mean, the energy level, the, you know, even talking to the writers, they're like, we love this guy. You know, it's not exactly yes and no answers you get from him. But in the locker room, that's a critical component and more so when you're struggling than when you're doing well. And he's been a big addition as is Brendan Dillon. So I like that. And if you were sitting here 10 or 12 games in and you said you only had three wins from Connor Hellebuck for a variety of reasons. Um, you've got three great wins from Eric Comrie. You've got zero goals. 
from Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And by the way, they've each only played about half the games. And you're sitting pretty good in the Central Division. You'd take every single bit of that. You really would. Um, the play of Pierre-Luc Dubois has been really significant, I think. And, you know, all this mixing and matching of lines is only going to benefit because once they settle on what they're doing, then you're going to be that much better. And within those lines, Andrew, the guys get to play different roles. I mean, I really think Kyle Connors emerged as a true star in the National Hockey League. Um, but everybody else gets to play a little bit different roles. And, you know, with a lot of organizations, you might have seen an Andrew Kopp settle into a third or fourth line role as he played when he came out and not develop in, into the player that he is today. And, you know, you've been able to get him through like the waiver situations and, you know, get him to a certain contractual level. He's going to make his money. Uh, and he might make more money than he would have had he jumped earlier. So everything I see about it from an on-ice standpoint, from an off-ice standpoint, I know there was a tough, tough stretch you guys went through with Chevy, but you know what? Um, a lot of what I see on the ice and in the makeup of the team, I really like. Well, it, you know, you, you mentioned a few of the guys that, man, we've spent a lot of oxygen talking about coming in. I mean, we have a, a really fun back and forth with the folks in our chat, but I will be frank, Dave. I've been a, made it a point of pointing out the amount of crow that has been served up to many a fan on the three players you mentioned coming in. And there were legitimately huge questions about Pierre-Luc Dubois. He did not have a great season last year after coming over from Columbus and you know, when you get traded for Patrick Liney and Jack Rostovic, that comes with some pretty big expectations. There's a lot of people that didn't think Andrew Kopp was, you know, capable of playing a regular shift and contributing in the top six. And there was a ton of people that thought that Eric Comrie would not be able to get the job done as the backup goalie. I don't know where you want to start with because you sort of mentioned Kopp and just the way he's playing. But maybe if you could start with Dubois and just how different a player he's looking night in and night out right now for the Jets and how important he's been helping the Jets win all these games with Mark Shifley out of the lineup before he returned. This is the player that Yarmo Kiklanen drafted third overall. And, and, you know, for a Finnish general manager to jump, Jesse Pugliarvi, who everyone had going third in that slot, was a pretty strong statement of, of what he was capable of at a younger age. And I think if, we, if you were to talk to a lot of your callers and look around their own neighborhoods and some of the people in different walks of life who've struggled over the last 18 months in whatever they do, maybe they're an accountant, maybe they're a lawyer, you know, who's, who's for whatever pandemic reasons their business has gone sideways, this guy got traded in the middle of it and then sat in a hotel room and just never got in sync. And that is a totally legitimate reason for a young player to doubt himself on the ice. And working through it, and I think the support of the organization, um, we're seeing the player now that I think only has an upside. And that's why the Jets are where they are right now without Mark Shifley available and healthy and all of the above and without Blake Wheeler healthy and, and available. And because those have been the two core leaders for this hockey club. And so patience is a really strong, strong word because I think sometimes it's misused, but I think in this case, it's very, very valid with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, flipping Derek Comrie, you know, once again, he's just valuable enough to get picked up on waivers every time he gets put on waivers. <laughs> and that's a curse. And you know, right now, if you tried to send him down, somebody would grab him. 
And would it be the Leafs who are really stretched in right now at backup goalie? And it's almost like, you know, Anton Forsberg, when he got snagged three times in a row, one of the times by Winnipeg. And those guys are good enough that people want them, but can't quite fit. And, you know, I'd love it if Eric Comrie could just settle into a really nice, strong backup role for about the next four years and just, you know, be in a great, great position because that would be well-deserved for what he's bounced around doing. And who's our third guy we're talking about? Well, the other one was Andrew uh, Klopp. Oh, Andrew and Klopp. I mean, Klopp's well, done everything, and he's been in so many spots. But I mean, Dave, he's been clicking up more a point. To, uh, and and even when he was scoring before, I think a lot of people said in the past, well, I, listen, he was playing with Shifley and Wheeler for a while. I mean, Connor was out. I mean, he was playing with top players. That's why I think you can really make an argument that he has really been a driver. And uh, man, I mean, everything that he did well He's doing better this season, it seems. And it's great timing, by the way, because he's in a contract year and he's a UFA at the end of the season. That's exactly right. But he's put himself in that position. And I would say today, and there's one other candidate for this category, he might be the top quarterback in the National Hockey League. And, and I say that, but football quarterback. And you know well the story. He yeah. didn't focus on, on hockey really until halfway through his senior year of high school. So when everyone else was scoring goals and molding their offense as a young player, he was throwing touchdown passes. And I don't know if you know who the other one that would give him a good run for his money is. Do, do you know offhand who the other one is? The other quarterback in the, you know what? I don't. Yeah, it's Anders Lee. And when he came to Notre Dame, he was an all-state quarterback in Minnesota. And when he came to Notre Dame, the, I think the first two quarterbacks got hurt that year and they were really worried that they were going to come and take Anders Lee that the football team was going to come and take him he was that good and you know and it brings to mind a famous person that we lost far too early who was in a very similar situation an all-state quarterback from Minnesota who went to Notre Dame and backed up Tommy Clements his freshman year at Notre Dame and that was Bill Nyrock <laughs> fascinating to think of of having that kind of ability but think of what an athlete Andrew Kopp is. But so the offensive side of it, you know, he knew his mark in the NHL was going to be on the defensive side of things. He established himself as a really strong defensive player. But now the offensive side's coming out. So I think that's all, you know, I mean, that's all just a bonus to be able to get the offensive level you're getting from that player. Yeah, I, I mean, overall, considering the fact that, you know, you were missing the Jets, to be honest, Dave, you look at the last couple seasons, when Mark Shifley hasn't been in the lineup, they haven't won a hockey game. It's hard so, to. Uh, well, it, it is, but, I mean, then this guy, I guess, goes back to Dubois. I mean, he, I mean, there was already a bit, you know, let's see what he's going to do, and he was playing great right out of the gate, but the ability to uh, elevate and play like a number one center, uh, because I think, I mean, you, you could tell us, I mean, the center position seems to be so important, and we know the focus on it by NHL GMs, and and you don't just trade Patrick Line for, you know, like if you want to make yourself better, there has to be the strategy behind it. And it it really did seem from Chevaldeo's perspective, it was to have as good of a center ice position down the middle as you could have. And that maybe wasn't the case last year. But if you have Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois playing the way that they are right now, that's a pretty darn good one-two punch. Uh, one that could match up with most teams in the NHL on any given night. Well, the best teams in the NHL have two centermen. And, and I mean, look at the team just west of you. Uh, have a couple of pretty good centermen in Edmonton. I mean, those guys are pretty good. And, you know, Toronto's got Tavares and Matthews. And, 
and and you know it's funny last night i did boston uh and they're really missing david Krejci. and and what it is they put charlie Coyle in the number two hole but what it is and we talked to both coaches yesterday about the center ice position it is the ability to match up and the ability to avoid matchups and la's off to a nice start this year because philippe dano has taken huge pressure off of Andre kopitar and now kopitar who is a Selkie award winner, doesn't have to take defensive zone face-offs. Well, what kind of luxury is that to have as a coach? You're Todd McClellan, you look down the bench and you're like, yeah, a couple of options to put out there at center. And you can get Kopitar and his line away from matchups. And that's what, when healthy, and everyone's aboard here, think of the options that Paul Maurice is going to have in terms of matchups. And you got a guy named Paul Stasny who can fit a pretty good role wherever he loads in, be it winger or, or center or wherever he loads in, you know, in that veteran experience. So the slotting thing is so significant and so underrated as a factor that, you know, if you can slot a guy in and everybody else gets to play one notch lower, then you think of their matchups and how much easier their life gets. And not only slot in and play a notch lower, but now they're seeing a different set of defensemen as well. So, you know, if you, if you, say you were to put Shifley, Wheeler, and, and Kyle Connor back together, and now you're playing against one of the top teams in the league, and they've got to worry about not putting their top defense pair against Pierre-Luc Dubois and his group. I mean, what kind of luxury is that for a coach? Well, and you know, and, just one more on the Jets, Dave, on this, because you bring it up. I'm, you know, this is the first time we haven't seen Adam Lowry playing at center in years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on the wing right now with Shifley and Wheeler, and it's certainly added a different dynamic to it, and they've been playing... I mean, I don't know what you want to call who's the top line right now with the Winnipeg Jets. It's pretty difficult to see it. But there's Andrew Kopp in the middle playing with Nikolai Ehlers, who's a driver on his own. And, you know, from my vantage point, Dave, for the first time, you know, maybe ever, you have would have a tough time on a given night saying who the number one line is between one and two and three for the Winnipeg Jets. And I'll tell you what, I mean, if you can even up the ice time, things will change from game to game. But, I mean, it seems like Paul Maurice is liking it right now, and uh, I think there's something to be said for managing the hockey club that way, especially when you talk about the grind of an 82-game season. It really is a luxury to have those pieces. And and the versatility of a Lowry to, to be able to move over to a wing, well, guess what? When the centerman gets thrown out, you're bringing in a pretty good guy to try and win the draw. And, you know, so all those little details of the game, and we've watched this team grow. I mean, I, I really feel like, you know, the growth started before the conference finals a few years back, and we watched it, and it has, eb- it has ebbs and flows to it, and, and you want more. You want it faster. You take a huge hit a couple of years back when you lose basically your top four defensemen or four of your top five defensemen, and you'd love it to be a perfect arc and a perfect straight line, but it's not. And, and I think the Jets right now are positioned pretty well. Dave Poulin with us from TSN Hockey on Winnipeg Sports Talk. You mentioned some of the other Canadian teams that you've been uh, following and uh, calling games with, Dave. Let's go to Alberta right now. I mean, the Oilers have been the talk of the league. I mean, (laughs) I don't don't know. You can tell us what you thought about what he did to the Rangers on Friday night with that goal. But uh, they're not the only team in Alberta that's had a great start. Calgary, um, maybe exceeding a lot of people's expectations considering how disappointing they were and the lack of real significant change in the offseason. But uh, tell you what, there's no freebies on trips to Alberta anymore. There certainly aren't. And, you know, uh, let's start a little bit north in Edmonton. And that goal reminded me very much 
of my first year of retirement playing in the South Bend Men's League. Because I was, I was really, really good that year. Like I was in shape and I was coming off my game. And the only player who'd even played junior hockey in the league, let alone played in the NHL. And, and hey, I was pretty good and I could dangle at will. And, uh, but the guys he were, was playing against happened to be in the NHL. And, <laughs> and the last two pieces were Jacob Druba and poor Patrick Nemeth. And we were, we were watching and I said, you know, the happiest person in the world is going to be Morgan Riley because he was posterized last year by McDavid. And now, you know, now they'll, they'll have moved on. But I just, I'm thrilled that we're getting to watch this special player and because he's special. And, you know, when I'm asked about the curve of that team, when Mario really took the, the next or the final step in Pittsburgh, and I was the recipient of those we lost in the conference finals when I was in Boston, both to both of his cup teams, you know, it was the, the addition of another superstar, and that was Yarmar Yager. And, you know, McDavid has that with Drysaddle. And when we talked about the Jets, and very similar situation, I think, and a little bit unexpected for me, with the addition of Zach Hyman and the versatility that Dave Tippett now feels he has with his top six, because it's very, very similar, although I think in Winnipeg, there are more pieces, you know, maybe eight or nine pieces, but the six pieces that seem to be moving around, you've drawn a lot out of Ryan Nugent Hopkins when he's playing with Hyman and Yamamoto. All of a sudden now, just before the season starts, I remember Dave Tippett, all of a sudden he flipped dry saddle up with McDavid, like the day before the season started. And I started laughing and I was thinking, well, he's just trying to scare the coach for tomorrow night. He's like, hey, don't forget, I can put these two guys together if I want to. And Jesse Pugliarvi, a, a nice, you know, we talked about Andrew Kopp and patience. So Pugliarvi is every bit the patience. And maybe that doesn't happen without a management change in Edmonton where a new manager comes in, Ken Holland says, I'm not giving up this kid. You know, here's where we had him rated when I was in Detroit and I'm, I'm just not giving him up. And, and so now all of a sudden, when you put dry settle together with McDavid and Pugliarvi, you've got that going, but you can flip Hyman up with McDavid and pull your as well and kind of change the dynamics. So that's sort of the new, the new mode, I think, is, is you get your high-end players and try and make them as interchangeable as you can. Um, in Calgary, there's a lot of buy-in right there, right now for Daryl Sutter. A lot of buy-in. And, you know, and they're led right now by the play of, of Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, when a goalie changes teams, seems to me if you think about a high profile goal is changing teams it often takes them a year and I think there's two reasons for it the goalie thinks he's just going to step in and do what he's done with his past team and the whole team is so expecting that oh we finally got our goalie that we don't have to worry about it and they still do have to worry about it and and so you know that's been interesting to watch how a coach changes a team's mentality and that's what Daryl Sutter has been able to do in Calgary. Yeah, it, it, the the Calgary situation is fascinating. And I spent a lot of time in the offseason doing shows with Pat Steinberg in, in Calgary, talking flames all the time. So I paid very close attention to them as well as the offseason. And from what was expected coming out of the disappointment of last year to what happened, I mean, there was a lot of people that were, okay, like, why would we expect any different? But your point about Markstrom was great. And to be honest, I thought he got a bit of a bad rap last year, Dave. Um, you know, I thought he came into Vancouver, had a great start, got hurt, struggled after that, but then actually got it together and they made a bit of a push at the end of the season. And this was in the midst of a team that I don't want to say they quit on their coach, but I mean, they got their coach fired 
And then Daryl Sutter was sort of feeling out this club throughout. But I'll Agreed. be honest, I mean, credit to Sutter. I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, there are some guys that are able to identify what needs to happen and make those changes and get it done. Because, I mean, Coleman's in, huge loss on the blue line of Giordano. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are basically the, the major offseason changes. And they look like a far more committed team right from puck drop every time you turn a Flames game on this season. Yeah, they really look organized. And I, I think that's that, that word is one that I think is a real compliment to a coach when a team is organized because the, the players are taking the responsibility to be organized, but it's the coach's director that's getting them on the same page. And, and they do look connected and organized. And, and the point about Markstrom, you know, it's almost like when you bring him in, the players up front say, oh, well, you know, the reason we weren't winning is because our goalie. I mean, now they've brought a really good goalie, and so he's going to do it by himself. Well, he doesn't do it by himself. No goaltender does it by himself. And I think that part of it is significant. And, and you know, Tanev's been much better. He was the big free agent coming in in front of Markstrom as well. And they've just, they just look organized. They look calmer and more organized. And, you know, if you're going to be good, you need your guys to go. And Gaudreau's been better. And, and Lindholm's been better. And Coleman's been a nice addition. And, you know, Coleman, when I think of Coleman, I think a little bit of Andrew Kopp. And, you know, he, he was sort of, you know, he was, you know, a pretty heralded player coming in, but settled into the defensive side of things nicely. And then the defense was super magnified when he was in Tampa and he won his cups. And then, but you can see there's, there's an offensive upside there that's, that's been there. Hey, everybody in the National Hockey League was a good offensive player at some point, you know, in their growth. And then they realized that, okay, once I get to a certain level, I'm going to have to learn how to play defense because the offensive guys, quite frankly, are better than me. And, uh, and Coleman is, some guys go a little bit in reverse. They establish themselves defensively, and then the offensive side comes back out. So Coleman has been a really nice addition for them. And a lot of people question whether that would be enough to change the dynamics of the team. But once again, we talked about slotting and moving people around, and Coleman seems to have had a factor there with Calgary. TSN's Dave Poulin with us. It's interesting that you mentioned Kopp and, and Coleman, Dave, because I think there's some really you know, interesting comparisons from those players, the way they played. And, and you know, Coleman was playing on Tampa. I mean, he wasn't getting number one line minutes and he wasn't on the top power play. And Andrew Kopp hasn't been doing that, although he's made the most of opportunities. But I mean, when Kopp, if we talk, and there's a lot of people worried that, oh my God, he's going to be worth $6 million at this rate at the end of the season. And the, the reality might be that, you know, with the commitments that the Winnipeg Jets have made, that, you know, he will go elsewhere. But for Cop's perspective, the best thing he could possibly do this year is uh, have a lot of eyes on him when they're down to eight and four teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And um, that is when those players, I think, of that type really make their money in free agency. It's being impact players in the postseason. Coleman did it. And uh, there's a lot of people in Winnipeg that would love if Andrew Cop's going to be going somewhere at the end of the year. He's got a nice long playoff run to show everybody what he's worth around the league but he may very well be a player who likes it where he is. And, you know, th- there, there are players that know they're successful because of the environment they're in. And I have a ton of respect for guys that, you know, that know that. And listen, you and I have talked about it on this show. Once you have your sneakers in your jeans and he's had enough money now to buy a nice pair of sneakers, nice pair of jeans, you can only wear one pair of sneakers at a time, one pair of jeans at a time. So once you get to that level of wealth, 
you're going to be just fine. You can make a decision based on lifestyle. You are where you want to be. You've got a good group of guys around you. And, and you know what? The opportunity to win again, you know, if you're in a winning environment, the opportunity to win again is a very great attraction of staying somewhere. Well, and, you know, he certainly has been a huge part of this group growing together. And, um, you know, he said himself, I mean, he was hoping to do a four or five year deal in the off season and with the trades, when you just add 10 million to a roster without anything coming off of it, it squeezes you a little bit. And, um, you know, he got a one year deal uh, one way or the other. He'll be getting what he's worth next year, whether it's in Winnipeg or elsewhere. I guess we'll see. Dave, before we go, uh, of course, we've been dealing with a lot of heavy hockey stories off of the ice right now. Um, over the last little while. Um, but for you, what, uh, what's what been the po most positive story this year? I mean, maybe something that's really yeah. stood out to you, that surprised you, that uh, maybe we didn't expect right now, but um, has really impressed you so far early on this season. Um, I've been asked so much about the other side of it. I haven't thought as much about the positive side of it. Uh, we spent like... so much time talking oh, about man, it. A lot of oxygen, like and justifiably so. Seriously, like, I, I went through... And, you know, and even writing the column, I'm an amateur writer, right? And, and, but shockingly enough, I've written 40 columns now for the Toronto Star, which is an amazing number when you've never written one before. No doubt. And, and I try and be creative and I try and find topics. In the last couple of weeks, I wrote one about Carey Price. It was a heavy, heavy column. And I wrote one about the Chicago situation. And, and you know, I'm thinking, ah, I just want to write about hockey. That's what I want to write about. So I think having... You know, watching the young talent in the league has really been fun for me and watching it emerge and watching some of the guys step in. And, you know, there's just some really bright lights, be it Lucas Raymond and Cider in Detroit. And, and some of the teams that have kind of turned the corner a little bit, either expectedly or unexpectedly, San Jose and Anaheim are both good right now. Um, and Detroit's been a really, really fun story to watch. And you're watching what they've got stockpiled. I've got a little bit of an advantage in in – knowing the organization and that one of my former players at Notre Dame, Ben Simon is the head coach of their AHL team, the Grand Rapids Griffins. So Benny and I keep in touch. So, you know, he, his main task is development and he's been a big part of what's going to be coming into Detroit. And, you know, and the questions are, can Steve Eisenman do what he did in Tampa over, you know, the next decade. And, and so that's been a nice story. Donnie Granado and Buffalo has been a nice story and getting their situation cleared up. Um, you know, and, and then there's teams that are sort of on the bounce back a little bit that have, that have maybe, you know, a team like St. Louis and Craig Berube, they've won a couple and they're only a couple of years removed from doing that. And, you know, a lot of people wrote them off in that central division. And I had them in the top band actually with Colorado and Winnipeg. I had those three teams banded up at the top when I, when I, you know, made my pre huge huge task there i worked with him he was my marley's assistant coach when i uh when i worked with the toronto marley's and a great great personality so i think it's some of the some of the unexpected teams and some of the young teams and some of the young players that have probably been the most pleasant surprise as i work my way through the airports you mentioned the raymond and cider in detroit and um you know having not really watched them very much before i've caught a little bit of the wings this year and i did get a cider as a rookie on a fantasy team so i paid a little more close attention to him but i have to i have to say dave maybe the thing thing that surprises me the most because of how shrewd steve eiserman is and the focus on bringing young players in we have this conversation all the time. I mean, Evgeny Svechnikov seems like found money right now for the Winnipeg Jets. He's mm -hmm. fitting in very well 
on a line with Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And everyone's wondering, how the hell was he available for the Jets to sign on basically a two-way deal in the middle of the summer as an unrestricted free agent from a team that, let's face it, up until this point, has not been stocked with a lot of talent as the uh, standings would indicate the past couple seasons. And it's flavor as much as anything. It's two things. It's flavor. And the new, you know, the, the management group that's there didn't draft him. And he was part of the previous regime. And, and, and then it's the player himself. And the Svechnikov you're seeing right now is much better than the one that was playing in Detroit. So maybe he gets to a certain age and he's a first round pick. He has a pedigree and, you know, he's watching, you know, those around him. When they watch those around them, right around them in the draft have success, you know, that's when sometimes it clicks in for a player at 22 or 23 or 24 years old and says, wait a second, I'm every bit as good as those players. And what a fresh opportunity he's gotten in Winnipeg and he's taken advantage of it and power to him. Dave, thanks so much for the time, man. Uh, I know how busy you are. We uh, we and everyone here in the chat loves your insight. Uh, be well, travel safe, enjoy these games, and that's uh, great to see you back on the road calling them, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon in a few weeks. Always great to join you, Andrew. You love the little setup here, so just so you know, the hotel glasses are turned upside down. There's a book on top of them, and then the iPad is propped up on top of that book. The drapes have to be closed to a certain level. There's some background lighting. And then there's a wallet that tucks in behind to prop it up at a certain angle. That's the setup for the hotel. Room. You're an absolute <laughs> master. Uh, just to pull the curtain back, I basically did that here for about four months until we finally invested everybody in, did. in an arm everybody, mic. So <laughs> Everybody did. I love some of the home setups. And one of the funniest parts about my home setup is one of my two adopted cats, and it's Fred, not Ted, uh, doesn't like when I'm on air. And just causes an absolute ruckus when I'm on air. So it's all part of the home studio, my friend. You're lucky Fred's not here today. Hooli, you're the best. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Have a great one. Okay, take care, Andrew. There he is, Dave Poulin from TSN Hockey. What a great conversation that was. And uh, big thanks to Dave. As he said, great to see all of the, uh, the analysts now back on the road, uh, not doing Zooms on the iPad from their home with cats running amok. Uh, actually going out to games in the National Hockey League. And uh, Dave, always just an absolute pleasure to have on. That was a heck of a lot of fun. We're going to continue the hockey talk coming up. Do have some breaking news for those of you watching live. I know we people, people have been talking about it in the chat. Uh, we are hearing that Sean McGuire is going to be starting for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, against the Montreal Alouettes on the weekend. That's a pretty big move by the Blue and Gold, keeping Zach Caleros rested and healthy presumably we'll hear more from mike o'shea going into the calgary game but a uh, big opportunity for sean mcguire i think everyone knows uh bombers need zach caleros they want to win the gray cup but this is great experience and if something happens that mcguire has to play this is something that uh, could definitely help the team um so we will talk about that a little more as well as a really good piece today in the winnipeg sun by paul friesen a little more on what we talked to yesterday on bob irving and the end of his hall of fame career and when it's going to end and uh, if we might be able to get that extended another week. Uh, before we get to Murata Tesh of The Athletic, we want to thank Royal Sports for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk really since day one. Royal Sports is the spot for Bomber gear, Jets gear, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, anything licensed merchandise. They've got the best selection in town. They'll customize your jerseys for you. So if you uh, want to get some... Uh, 
new drip, if, if you will, before going to one of the games. Royal Sports has it for you. They're also the hockey superstore in town with millions of dollars in inventory. And uh, we got snow outside, folks. All you snowboarders and maybe some snowboarders in the family just had a big sale a couple of weeks ago. Tons of stock in. So get ready for winter and get ready to get out for let's, let's get ready for December 5th. Jets Leafs at night. The chaser following bombers and the winner of the West semi and Royal Sports is the place to get outfitted. 750 Pemina Highway. A big shout out to our friends at Not Auto Corp as well. Uh, I imagine. People are going to be thinking about new vehicles right about now. Some uh, some winter vehicles. Before you do anything for a vehicle, talk to the experts at Knot. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? You can visit them and the newly opened Winnipeg Car Lab over at Waverly and McGilvery or check them out online at knot.ca. And uh, well, as we said, people might be spending a little bit more time in home these days with the weather coming up. Uh, you might want to grab that winter variety pack from Little Brown Jug to make the time go that much easier. Uh, all the great flavors of Little Brown Jug, including the new limited edition double. It's available at the tap room on William Avenue or online at littlebrownjug.ca. You can find out more about delivery services as well there and check out their events page. What a great spot to host a holiday party or gathering there's a link for booking it at littlebrownjug.ca as well. And uh, just a few weeks away from helping celebrate Little Brown Jug's five-year anniversary with them here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, we will talk Bombers and this news a little later on. We'll also hear from Coach Paul Maurice later on in the program. But right now, as we like to do on a weekly basis, we welcome in from The Athletic, the one and only Murat Atash. Murat, how are you? Great to have you back on the program, my friend. Hustler, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I got some snow outside the window, but that's just fine. I got coffee inside. I'm nice and warm. Everything's toasty. Life is good. Happy to be here. How are you? I am. I'm well. Uh, I still still shaking my head about that hockey game between the Jets and the Blues. Um, you know, a lot of things that I think you have to love about the way that they played last night, considering the way that, you know, a lot of ways they had the life sucked out of them at times on Saturday night against the New York Islanders. And you had a real neat piece on that in The Athletic, which we'll get to in a minute. But just your thoughts on on the game between the Jets and the Blues in that, you know, first period was sort of a soft, but the second and third were so thoroughly dominated by Winnipeg. Um, but man, that's got to be frustrating when you play that way and then the tides completely flip on you in overtime. Your goalie bails you out and uh, then it goes to a shootout and you leave with one point. And the visitors who probably didn't even deserve to get to overtime, leave with two. Yeah, they really didn't. The St. Louis Blues were not in that hockey game for most of it. However, we've seen the Winnipeg Jets hang in games thanks to some hot goaltending in the past. We know that that's a part of uh, what happens in the National Hockey League. I thought I saw the game a lot like you did. The first period was mediocre on both fronts. Like They were way better, both teams, at knocking down passes by the other team than chaining together passes on their own. It wasn't really a cohesive frame. But and then the second, Winnipeg starts off out shooting St. Louis by a huge margin. They're getting chances from the outside. They're getting chances from the inside. They're controlling zone time. And, and it's really the sort of period that you would want the Winnipeg Jets to play. And like you say, we can get into it later. Winnipeg did just play St. Louis, and we do have some analysis of, of, of the full season as well. Um, the St. Louis game, the story was that Winnipeg had largely been kept to the outside. The shots were getting blocked. They were cycling from not dangerous situations. They were having a tough time getting to the paint. 
Well, against Jordan Bennington, they got to the paint. You know, Mark Shipley has his shot in the second period with Jordan Bennington without a stick, Adam Lowry battling in front wheeler as well, and Bennington just gets the, the pad out. And that was kind of the story of it for me in that it was simultaneously a big step in the right direction because the Jets generally penetrated the most dangerous areas of the ice created chances from the most dangerous areas of the ice in a way they didn't against St. Louis. It, sorry, they didn't against the Islanders. It was actual dominance. But of course, the frustrating thing is, well, they didn't convert often enough. They made two mistakes. Both of them ended up in the back of their net. And all of a sudden, they're getting dominated three on three in overtime. It's a step forward and an aggravating loss at the same time to me. Yeah, the uh, I mean, we'll spend most time talking about the game, but the overtime, and we've talked about the Jets in OT. I mean, you know, it's someone that, you know, like I have incredible confidence when the Jets get to OT, and usually in games, especially, I mean, it's better when you're not playing a divisional team because all the points do matter. But, I mean, if you're playing a team in the East, especially on the road, more often than not, I'm like, fine, I'd love to watch the three-on-three. That's fun. If it goes to the shootout, I'm here for it as well. And when you have the skill and the talent that the Jets have in that roster, um, I'm betting on them far more to win, get two points far more than 50% of the time, which considering the second and third period, the way they went yesterday, I mean, it was absolutely shocking to see the way that St. Louis, I mean, I don't think the Jets touched the puck with the exception of a face-off attempts after about one minute. I mean, what, what did you make of that? Because at times we've seen the Jets being, especially Kyle Connor, absolutely devastating at three on three. That wasn't the case last night. No, I mean, the Kyle Connor pierre Luc Dubois duo had a couple of early shots, um, nothing quite like a game winner, to be sure. And then all of a sudden, it's all St. Louis all the time. St. Louis is winning every face-off. They're winning every 50-50 battle. They're the ones with the puck on their stick, bringing it out of the Jets' zone, getting their line change in, attacking again, over and over and over again. And the last time that Winnipeg was honestly bad in overtime for any stretch was 2017-18. Like we're talking about years, even during their defensive struggles. You know, sometimes you'd see Paul Maurice roll three forwards on in overtime. And because they're so talented like they are, you know, Winnipeg had a pretty solid overtime record. And then they won a lot of games. And like you, uh, Huss, I would bet on their skill more often than not to, to take over. But they need to get the puck. Um, and back in 2017-18, when they used to struggle in overtime, that was back before they still tried to to dump it or force entries that weren't there instead of rewinding like every team in the NHL does now, um, making sure you have possession and because zone entries are largely for free right now. So that was a whole different version of three-on-three the last time Winnipeg was particularly bad. And even earlier this season, we saw Kyle Connor take over. I mean, it's supposed to be a good three-on-three team. It will be again, particularly in my mind, if Paul Maurice follows through on what he was thinking out loud about last night, which is a return to three forwards, because the Jets have too many good ones to leave Nick Ehlers sitting on the bench till the third rotation, getting just a few seconds. Yeah, that I, I was just about to bring that up because the coach did mention that afterwards. I mean, there wasn't much to nitpick with the performance with the exception of the three on three. And I know coaches, I mean, they're far more concerned with how the 60 minutes goes and winning those games as they're structured. But those decisions and the innovation that he used last year with the three forwards was actually quite, um, well, it was innovative. And I mean, it worked. The bottom line was it provided some great performances for the Jets and some important points. They haven't gone that way. And I guess in some ways, it's a tip of the cap to the fact that you've got Morrissey and you've got Schmidt that are very capable defenders to play there. Um, but from your perspective, 
Yeah, does the data say that um, maybe going back to those three forwards, considering what they've done and what they're able to do when they're on the ice at the same time, would be the way to go maybe the next time they get to three on three? Well, I haven't chopped it up from, you know, a perspective of what their record was or what sorts of chances they created or anything like that. But I will say, excuse me, I will say that I understand Paul Maurice likes to roll the defenseman that he uses because Nate Schmitz put up a lot of points, Neil Pionk's put up a lot of points, and Josh Morrissey too. Um, But to my way of thinking, I kind of look at how they put up their points and there's there's a great degree of playmaking in there, and certainly the power play impacts things as well. But they're not burners in that same dynamic way that a Kyle Connor or a Nikolai Ehlers or a Pierre Luc Dubois is right now. Not like a Mark Scheifele is. Not like, um, and you can go on and on through the list. So automatically prioritizing, you know, two forwards, one D all the way through. Um, you know that Scheifele Wheeler Morrissey combination that used to get it done time and time again. I don't know that it should be that way by default just because of a points analysis. I guess I'm looking for more speed. At the same time, maybe I I say that, and I'm thinking from the other side of my mind right now, Nate Schmidt's probably the slowest of those three defenders. He was the one diving to make a a, a goal-saving play in that 3-on-3 OT, um, like eating a a shot attempt essentially right right on the goal mouth and then taking a fist in the face for his trouble. So, I mean, clearly the defensemen are bringing something to that table too. I just think that the Winnipeg Jets, that they're most dominant and they're most dynamic, are probably rolling as much of that gifted forward group as they can. Uh, we did see a return to 12-6 and six last night, which was interesting because Paul Stastny was out of the lineup, so you got Riley Nash back in and Veselin back in. Um, let's assume, and this might be not the case because it wasn't a practice today, but um, let's assume that the roster's healthy and Paul Stastny is back in. Um, does Sebastian just go back to where he uh, where he was? But do you think that they'll continue with the twelve and six, or was there something about having that extra defenseman and the ability to bring a forward from the top three lines down to play in, uh, in four that actually helped them with some pretty positive results when Maurice was going with that eleven and seven format for the better part of a couple of weeks? Well, I'll start with his reasoning that he shared for going to twelve and six, and that was the idea that. He had a couple of forwards that were just banged up enough that he didn't want to run the risk of going dropping down to 10 or 9 players early on. And I understand that. That's you know the sort of insurance that you would like from that. I also think that when Nathan Beaulieu was playing and as that seventh defenseman, you know, the purpose probably has more to do with the PK and the idea that he's blocking shots and he's battling in that sort of scenario. So it's kind of funny to see the PK get burnt on that zone entry. And I think that was Dominic Toninato who fades a little bit to too much to Neil Pionk's lane. All of a sudden, Vushnevich is in kind of by himself instead of, you know, having a guy on him. But you can point to the Jets PK giving up a goal again, uh, despite some improvement. So you might, from Paul Maurice's perspective, say, hey, I need Nathan Beaulieu back in there. For me, though, it's it really is about putting uh, Paul Stastny back where he was. I like Jansen Harkin's speed, but I don't think, you know, there was, there was a lot of good and a little bit of clumsy from him last night as well. I went into the season, and I still believe this. Like, I went into the season so sure that Jansen Harkin's was you know, on another level from Christian Veselainen, that that speed, that that forecheck and tenacity would would create quite a lot in, in certain moments, like when he gets opportunity like last night. Um, and I worry often about Christian Veselainen getting into situations physically with his speed and winning the battles to actually get the puck on his stick in a dangerous spot. I thought Veselainen surprised me last night. He had all kinds of jump. Um, and and I, I sort of want to be cognizant of that as well. At the end of the roster, though, I, I just keep thinking that Riley Nash on the power play doesn't make sense to me. 
And uh, is that you know, just a right shot thing? I mean, that's the only, and I know the coach has mentioned that, and uh, I'm that's certainly not my pay grade to imagine, you know, how important that is. But I like many having a hard time thinking that if there's if there's another reason other than it just seems to work best with a guy out, you want a guy with the right shot with where he's going to be set up on the PP. Yeah, I think that's exactly the the rationale that's been given, and it does make sense. And I think that. To a certain degree, depending on your background, I think casual fans underrate the importance of handedness. Like it not only affects, you know, what side of the ice you're open for a one timer on, it affects redirection angles, it affects some of the passing routes. I've, I've seen some folks with more study of passing angles than me suggest that, you know, even handedness matters quite a bit there. And I think that this is something that coaches and players see that maybe we don't appreciate on the full. And, and so that's important to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, the other side of things though i don't know that riley nash offers nearly enough offensively to make that enough of of the rationalization there if you need a righty maybe mark shifley double shifts like he used to do uh, on the power play and, and spends quite a long time i mean certainly he's an incredibly dangerous player but at the same time maybe it's that you know with paul Maurice focusing so much on forwards defensive responsibility right now he's not trying to give too many carrots to guys for with whom he's working uh, to improve their defensive game, like like Mark Shifley as well. So I I think at the end of the day, thinking too much about this and concluding that Riley Nash is a power play threat is probably a mistake, but I, I can begin to see other rationalizations for it as well. Uh, well, I, the power play is the least of the problems for the Winnipeg Jets. Absolutely right. I can't say <laughs> the same thing for the PK. And to be honest, that I think is what we all expected Riley Nash to be really contributing to which hasn't been the case so far this season. I'll say this. I think that, that the power play goal that went in last night is probably one that Connor Hellebuck wishes that he had. I mean, I think for the most part, certainly the first 120 of the P uh, the power play for St. Louis, I thought the Jets did uh, about as good of a job as they've done all season at limiting them from even setting up. But it's the NHL. You don't need much to get a goal. I mean, just now that we're like a dozen games in, Murat, um, when you look at the Winnipeg Jets penalty kill, uh, where does the improvement start? Is it simply just getting a few more saves or is there something that they just aren't doing well enough that it won't improve until they get going in that direction? I think just from the way I've seen it, that it's kind of been about not getting all of the elements together on the same PK a lot of the time. I mean, early on, they weren't getting face-off wins or clears. You know, they've gotten better at that. They're not as horrendous at that aspect of the game as they were for the first week or two. Uh, and, and that really was a really, they, they performed terribly at, at that part of the game at, at winning those battles, getting to the puck first, getting the puck out of the zone when possible. And then last night, to your point, I mean, they were pretty good at standing up at their own blue line. And right before that goal against Brendan Dillon, had, you know, picked up a scrambled puck and pushed the puck up ice. He had numbers behind him. So yes, it was strange. It was Dylan pushing the puck up ice, but the coverage was there. You know, I thought, I think that the entry prevention has gotten better. I, I think we've seen less, you know, puck clearly on somebody's stick and, and, and a, a, an exit being failed. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's enough of that from time to time that, I guess they are still giving up goals. And and I think that last night's really was was more of a one-off. It wasn't about them defending in the system. It, it wasn't, it was just a, a really bad uh, entry denial is what it was in that two guys went to one and then all of a sudden there's a guy flying up the wing even before that shot, which I agree with you, Hellebuck would want back and you, you wouldn't like that to beat him. So I don't know what the answer is. I think it's about getting all those aspects kind of together 
for an extended period of time. Murata Tesh of The Athletic is with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk, talking all things Winnipeg Jets. And uh, if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? A great piece on the Jets early into the season on five positive trends and three signs of concern. I'd like to, now that we've got a dozen games in the books, talk about the additions of Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt. And you know, now that we've seen a number of games, all sorts of situations, how... In your opinion, Marat, I mean, how important have these two individuals been to the improvements, which, from my perspective, and I think you touched on it in the article, spending less time in their defensive zone, getting to the puck earlier, and maybe most importantly, a functional breakout that happens um, as it's designed, maybe without as many uh, hand grenades with pin pulled, pins pulled in their own end <laughs> as we've seen in the past. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly right. I, I see it kind of in on two different levels. Like the first level is what happens when they're on the ice and what they're capable of. And Nate Schmidt, I thought, had a couple of scrambly moments in the first few games and has gotten better and better um, at developing chemistry with Josh Morrissey and moving the puck quickly and effectively to good spots and, and at getting defensive stops, too. Um, I think he's he, he's formed a viable top four pairing with Josh Morrissey. And they're above 50% in terms of shot um, shot-based metrics, which you didn't see from a lot of Josh Morrissey pairings in the past, especially with Tucker Pullman. So that's an automatic upgrade from where I'm sitting, even before you get into the amount of assists he's piled up on the offensive side of the game. Um, with Brendan Dillon as well, I think that, you know, early on, first impression was you just love the physicality. You love the degree to which he'll lay into somebody and take them out of the play. We've seen goals go against the Jets when he hasn't quite been able to do that too. I don't think he's like an absolute wrecking ball so far, and I have room for him to get better on the defensive stop side of the game. But even that acknowledged, he's getting stops faster, more effectively, and then moving the puck better alongside Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert did a year ago. And that's an upgrade. That's an absolute upgrade. So when you're looking at what they're capable of doing when they're on the ice, level one, they're improved. The, the stops come faster. We all remember, I guess, last year, the amount of times we would see the Jets not only get hemmed in their own zone, but they get beat by a step. And then when they get beat by a step, they retreat into man-to-man -man coverage. And then you have things like Josh Morrissey or any other blue liner following a forward all the way up to the top of the zone. By the time they get the puck back, nobody's in position to go the other way with it. And, and that, I think, had a lot to do with some of how those hemmed-in situations turned into a complete lack of offense the other way, too. So that's changed. The other thing that changes when you have those guys is Paul Maurice and Charlie Huddy change their instructions for everybody. And now you have more... Everybody is being more aggressive at the offensive blue line to stop pucks. You're getting forwards coming back, which has mostly worked pretty well. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and you're getting those defensemen jumping into the play to extend offensive zone shifts. You're getting them stepping up at the Jets blue line to try to stop entries and make them chaotic. And then they're trusting themselves to go get them, clean them up and get them out of the zone as well. And on, for me, in every single one of these fronts, the Jets have done pretty well. You will see chaos over the course of most games. You will see mistakes but they're a world better to me than they were last year on that regard. And I think that they're full value for a winning record right now based on it. You know, uh, one of the other interesting things in the piece is the comparison from this year's squad to last year as to uh, the damage that they do off the rush and how much they rely on it. Yeah. And you know, what? I got to thank uh, Avco cup. Uh, traditionally we go back and forth on cap details and the other fastidious elements of, uh, of hockey coverage and, and it's always appreciated, but um, if you've ever done any video tracking of any particular element of, you know, of a hockey game, you know, it can get time intensive. And what he's doing right now 
is just comparing the number of goals that go in for and against the Jets at five on five uh, off of rushes and rushes in his case being within seven seconds of a zone entry. So maybe it's a two on one, maybe it's a two on one, a rebound and a recovery, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's something that's happening right after entry. Last year's Winnipeg Jets lived and died by the rush. And often it was them failing by the rush. It was them getting beaten. They scored a high percentage of their goals that way. They also gave up a high percentage of their, goal, of their goals off the rush. So one of the things that I think is that if these Jets are giving up fewer goals off the rush and they're being coached to be more aggressive, not just at their offensive line, but their own blue line as well, well then what's probably happening is they're doing a better job of winning those battles. When a defenseman pinches, they're probably getting that pinch right more often than not. Um, but sometimes mistakes get made. And so when they get made, I think what you're seeing is better defensive coverage from the forwards. And I want to key in on two guys. There's lots of guys playing well. You can always count on Andrew Kopp to generally get that right. You can count on certain things. Um, but Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor, we give a hard time for in those regards. And you will still find elements or mistakes that, where they're on the high side of the puck. But both of those players, I think, are a step ahead in terms of making that back check, making that backtrack, especially Kyle Connor as well, and breaking up plays, rushing back in the defensive zone. So if you're being more aggressive and you're getting the coverage, that's a good recipe. And it's just about doing it all the time instead of 80% of the time, which I think could move Winnipeg from pretty good to very good or, or perhaps even better. Yeah, I totally echo what you said about Shifley and especially Kyle Connor. I mean, there's a few moments last night, you know, where uh, Connor, I mean, you know, you, you got to use that speed. You got to really hustle considering that he's usually back in the offensive zone trying to make things happen. But I mean, they're paying the price and doing what it takes to do to help out in the back end. And, um, you know, that has been noticed. Speaking of Shifley and Wheeler, it's been a crazy season. We're a dozen games in. They both missed significant amounts of time. Um, From my perspective, I thought they were dangerous every time they were on the ice last night at least in the 60 minutes up until chasing the puck around in uh, in overtime for a while last night um it hasn't gone in very much for them but i mean just your thoughts on not uh, how uh, 26 and 55 are doing together as well as how they're meshing with adam lowry who's on the wing for the first time in a number of years yeah you know what Mike, mark shifley is going to score and he's going to score soon I, I i can't imagine him playing like this i can't believe it wasn't last night to be honest <laughs> <laughs> honestly and we, we were sort of learning like the full roster of mark shifley facial expressions right now like there was the one from two nights ago against the islanders where he looks skyward after he puts uh you know he shoots wide with an open net uh, off the neil pionk pass and then yesterday on that one where where jordan biddington didn't have a stick um he just Shifley just stares an intense <laughs> thousand mile stare into the ice. And we're sort of like learning, you know, all the different emotions, which, you know, hopefully for his sake, uh, we, we learn some smiles soon. Um, so I, I think that he's driving and, and he's really played quite well uh, on the overall. Blake Wheeler is still a competitor as ever. I don't think that he's at a point in terms of his speed game or anything where he's absolutely controlling which zone the game gets played. And he's not flying up the ice and, and, and just driving um, and dominating like he has done in the in past years. But he does fight to get to the net front. He does fight along the wall. He picks up his 700th uh, point with the Jets franchise last night on a play along the wall, bounces in front of Kyle Connor, who buries. And maybe that's the difference in some ways. Like, you know, Adam Lowry drives the middle of the ice and he competes for that ice too. But you see sometimes Shifley and Wheeler defaulting to that cycle game and that cutback game, just keep somebody behind you along the wall 
and then Shifley will look into the middle. And maybe there's a Kyle Connor slot or route that we're not seeing that Adam Lowry isn't Adam Lowry isn't filling. And maybe that contributes to some of the lack of offense from those guys as well. But overall, I think my takeaway is they will score. It will probably be Shifley. And if there was ever any doubt about, you know, the two drivers of Wheeler and Shifley in the past, well, I think that it's really Shifley pushing the pace, uh, pushing the 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 zone time and the dominance more than anybody right now uh, with those three guys. Yeah, I mean, we talk about zero goals, but, um, you know, to be honest, uh, they could have had three or four in the last couple of games, and especially in the Islander game. I mean, it was Shifley and Wheeler, the ones that were, you know, creating the limited opportunities that the Jets seem to have in that hockey game. So I am sort of with you. They seem to be on the cusp, and you, know, you just hope it'll be one of those things that a dam will break, and then they'll start coming early and often. They'll have some opportunities to do it at home as we get into Sharks Thursday night, Kings on Saturday. You, of course, spent time in California with the Athletic covering those two early California trips. Let's start off with the Sharks. Um, oh, what did you see from them? And, uh, you know, what would the Jets have to do well to have a better result than they've had in San Jose so far this season? Yeah, Thursday night against San Jose is all about revenge as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, the game that Winnipeg played against San Jose in San Jose was a Sharks roster completely depleted by COVID. I think there were seven absences, Eric Carlson among them, and, and the list goes on. Logan Couture, I think, wasn't technically in protocol, but also absent. It was essentially a, a, a Barracuda team uh, that contributed to what turned out to be a San Jose win. And you're expecting Winnipeg to go into that game and control the flow of play just like they did against the Blues last night. So now we have a Jets team playing better systemically. They have more of their own roster back as well. And they're, you know, I'm not sure that the full extent of Sharks players are back, but it should be a step closer. So for me, it's a revenge game. The Jets should be angry about the result and the loss against San Jose before. And they should be angry about losing to St. Louis last night. Uh, and so they should be all over the Sharks to whatever extent they can be on Thursday. Um, but the Sharks were impressive. Thomas Hurdle is a, is a good player. Timo Meyer is a good player. There are some things that those guys can do. Similarly with the Los Angeles, that's a team Winnipeg on paper should be able to push out of the building. And you'd expect that from a team rounding into form. You really would. But there are some dangerous pieces and, and, and some really aggressive players on that team as well. You should be looking at two wins or at least two games that look like they should be wins to me. Yeah, um, as far as the Kings go, I mean, the Jets did have uh, that win, and it was Eric Comrie's game. Um, Comrie's had a great start to the season, although he played a lot more than anyone expected last week when Connor Hellebuck had a baby and then was sick for a couple days. Um, just a quick thought on that Kings matchup in particular, and do we expect Hellebuck to be the guy for the next couple games and probably Edmonton as well, considering there's two days off before they welcome McDavid back for the first time since sweeping him last uh, last spring? Yeah, absolutely. I'm also going to be that guy for a second. I think Andrea Hellebuck was the uh, was the baby haver. Uh, I think her her job was a little okay. A little that's true. That's but true. All, here's the thing, though. I say that knowing that there's always like some asshole that's willing to make that point and be pedantic. And like, I guess today that's me. So I'm not trying to put you in, in a spot by saying that. It's just like I guess it is true, though. Um, so I've been in, anyway. Anyway, he was part uh, of childbirth, or at least had to be there. Uh, was uh, on the job. And by the way. If you haven't seen, I know they're on the internet, some pretty awesome photos of uh, of uh, of a couple just um, over the moon with the uh, addition of uh, of young Hugh that's in there. Uh, check that out. But um, but yes, he had daddy duty. Then he was off duty because he was sick, came back. I mean, we do expect him to be the guy, I'd imagine, in this next little run, try and really get him back to being the, the guy that won that Fesna. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And he'll the Jets will give him every opportunity to sort of round back into form, get that game action in. Um, you heard Paul Maurice the other day say that he's at a point. Well, that's adorable. Um, he's at a point where um, where he doesn't have to find games for Eric Comrie. And I thought that that was a nice clarification because you usually don't hear coaches admit that much. Eric Comrie was a question mark even to the Winnipeg Jets heading into the season, and they were looking to be kind of judicious about when and where he played. At this point, he's played well enough that they can, you know, they can trust him uh, to to go out and get that next start when it suits the Jets. But what suits the Jets right now is getting Connor Hellebuck back into fine form, and I think that that means a couple of games uh, to, to close off the week for sure. You got it. Uh, hey, uh, just uh, one more for you before we go. Um, these are big games, uh, you know, considering, you know, uh, regulation loss on Saturday and giving up, you know, two and only getting one last night. Um, you know, they're look to try to, you know, get these two wins. But uh, how excited are you to see this home and home next week between the Jets and Edmonton, considering what happened last season and the incredible start of what's been happening in Northern Alberta led by 97? Yeah, Connor McDavid scoring the goal of the season barely a month in is a special look for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, it's also, I mean, yeah, they've started off torridly. Their power play continues to just break models. Uh, the number of chances they create, the, the the frequency with which they score, it's an all-timer right now, that power play. Uh, and certainly they're holding their own and scoring at even strength as well. They have the same top-end talent that Winnipeg had to contend with during the playoffs, and they're a little bit well better-rounded with Zach Hyman and otherwise, you know, adding, adding uh, to, to their depth. But really, it is about the stars in Edmonton. Um, the thing, I've had this conversation, I think I, I think it's with Tim Campbell a little bit more, and I got to credit that where it's due. You heard Nathan McKinnon come out of last year's playoffs talking about how disappointed he was, how it was on him. He, he put a lot of emphasis on learning and growth, and then you you heard Leon Dreisaitl say, well, we were the better team and kind of like stopped there. And like for me, that that could be bulletin board material for the Winnipeg Jets, who probably felt all kinds of proud of, of their effort in sweeping the Edmonton Oilers. And yes, a few more penalties could have been called, uh, you know, with Connor McDavid involved. But at the same time, you know, Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMel, Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert played their hearts out to sort of to get that, you know, the job done within whatever element of the rules that were being called. And all I'm saying in all of this is that the emotions are going to be high. The memories are going to be intense. The playoffs were what they were. You got the Edmonton Oilers playing extremely well. You have Winnipeg rounding more or less into form as well and a better team than they were a year ago. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of grudges and a lot of, you know, a lot of resentment maybe coming out of that series that we'll see come to the fore when they play against each other in a back-to-back. Marat, always appreciate our chats. Uh, what can athletic subscribers look forward to uh, coming into the weekend as the uh, Jets continue this homestand? Well, I want to keep it on on the ice for a little bit here. I mean, uh, you know, I love writing that piece that that's up right now about sort of just taking a state of the union, what's going well, what's not, showing a couple of clips and, and breaking down a couple of the metrics that sort of go into, yes, the Winnipeg Jets are better and, and, and they cure the type of games that they, they can play. So I want to keep it on the ice for a little bit as well. And uh, and hopefully the, the homestand gives more steady systemic play that we can sort of sink our teeth into. I cannot wait to see it. And I cannot wait for our next chat here. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, stay warm, my friend, and uh, stay Will off do. the roads. Right on. You too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> right on. Murat Atesh of The Athletic. If you're not, you probably are already following him on Twitter, but if you're not, 
at WPG Marat and uh, definitely check out all of his great work covering the Winnipeg Jets and the National Hockey League in the pages of The Athletic. Well, I guess not technically pages. It's online at theathletic.com. Um, I, I got to tell you, I, we'll get to our cool bet lines a little bit later on. Um, big news on the Bombers. We've also got some, we've got the Olympic odds for the women's curling, which we'll get to three Manitoba teams in the top four, including the queen herself, Jennifer Jones, proud part of Team Princess Auto, as well as Team Mike McEwen. Both of those teams sponsored by Princess Auto, all the Manitobans going for Olympic glory. But first to get there, they've got to be the top dogs in Canada. That's going to happen in a couple of weeks in Saskatoon. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of those squads, curling in Manitoba and on the tour. And Princess Auto is also the place where you'll find the best deals and most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new. Is it Princess Auto? Whether for your shop, work site, or home, Princess Auto knows you love finding the right tools and equipment to build or repair things yourself and make the ideas in your head come to reality. And of course, family-owned Canada-wide, two locations here in Winnipeg, as well as their head office. But uh, with the weather outside right now, before you make it out of the house, why don't you spend some time shopping online 24-7, 365 over at princessauto.com. Let's get to our Boston Pizza scoreboard for tonight. Bit of a quiet night in the National Hockey League with only three games after such a busy Tuesday. Uh, we've got the Toronto Maple Leafs in Philly to take on the Flyers. Uh, we'll get to odds a little bit later on, but the Leafs smarten after a um, bit of a reality check, losing 5-1 at home to the Kings on Monday night. Big Central Division battle between the Nashville Predators and the Dallas Stars down in Texas. And the first place Minnesota Wild, or I guess now it would be a second place after St. Louis got the two points last night. Uh, they are in Arizona to take on the Coyotes, who at least have one win to show for it. Of course, all the games always on a Boston pizza. And if you're heading down to any of the Jet games on this homestand, be sure to pop by and see our friends at Boston Pizza City Place. Popped in there beforehand. My folks went there for dinner before they went to the game as well. Great to see Crystal and the gang that took such good care of us so many years doing those pregame shows over at Boston Pizza. It's a great spot before and after all Winnipeg Jet games. And while you're staying at home, if you don't want to go out, the Great Taste of BP is always available by calling your local location or ordering online at bostonpizza.com. And while the snow is here, normally that would mean that the DQ on St. Anne's, part of the Nick and Nicky DQ group, was done for the year. See you in the spring. Not anymore. The uh, amazing grill burgers, chicken fingers, fries, blizzards, ice cream cakes, and more open year-round now. And the DQ St. Anne's also available for you on Skip the Dishes and DoorDash. The Nick and Nicky DQ group, including St. Anne's, Polo Park, and both drive through locations at DQ Northgate and DQ Niverville, available for you seven days a week. And if you do need a DQ cake, to make that next gathering or party that much better, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it all ready for you. Quick and easy. Pick it up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. Again, hit them up on Insta at DQ Manitoba. All right. Um, we will get to the cool bet lines in a minute. Oh, I should mention as well, our friends at uh, Canadian Club have the 
the Canadian Club Chronicles. Uh, Peace Sambo was the lucky winner of that incredible bottle of the 42-year-old reserve that we had a, geez, a couple months ago. The 44 has just been released. Uh, the Premium Spirits event happened last weekend. There are less than 70 in the province of Manitoba, an incredibly limited reserve of the 44, but it's available right now at Manitoba Liquor Marts. If you uh, have a, a rye expert in the family that would love the great taste of this incredibly exclusive run, pop down to your local Manitoba Liquor Marts as well. And of course, we'll be having a few CCs to stay warm December 5th for the Western final Winnipeg Blue Bombers and whoever makes it out of the West semi. And as we bring Michael Remus back in, great stuff with Marat. We hope to have Coach Paul Maurice a little later on in the program if it is available. Uh, but Remo, after all that great hockey talk, we have got to get to some bomber talk because um, just over the course of this last hour, some pretty significant news about the way the bomber lineup is going to look for this game on the road in Montreal coming up on the weekend. Big news, Hessler. Have you rushed to the sports book yet? To uh, Have you rushed a cool bet? To take the Owls plus the points or the Owls on the money line. Uh, Sean McGuire announced as the starter. Uh, it seems like they're going to address a couple quarterbacks. I mean, we'll see. I have no idea what to expect from McGuire. He hasn't played. We know that he gets goal line carries. So, you know, if they, get, if they manage to get to the one, he's going to be the guy to punch it in. But as far as throwing the ball, I don't know. They did do that play, uh, Huss where uh, what they faked it at the goal line, and he did throw, but that play did not work out. So we will... To I mean, answer your question, we'll see. to answer your question, the answer, answer is yes. Oh, you I already did. bet on it during the thing? Yeah, exactly. Like when you, you gave me the little thing, I saw it in the chat. Oh, I'm I like, sent oh you a DM. Oh my God, this is, this is happening right now. And to be honest, if you watched the lock shop yesterday, I said on the program, that was one of my two picks, Montreal plus eight, was very unsure as to what this roster would look like because I don't think they want to rest guys in the final game of the season against the Calgary Stampeders. So this was the week it was likely going to happen. I wasn't sure I was expecting Zach Caleros not to start the game, um, but certainly I understand what Mike O'Shea is going to do, it, and it's a luxury that his football team has earned for him. Um, you got to have Zach Caleros healthy for the 5th of December, and I don't think you want to have him off for three weeks going into that game. So it makes sense that if you were going to rest him and not have him, you know, go out there and risk injury, this would be the game to do that. So, yeah, for the last 15 minutes or so, it was still up at, at um, Alouette's plus eight. We can tell you that that is now off the board. Uh, so uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Take so that, sportsbook. <laughs> Hamilton. Calgary and B the Hamilton uh, Argos Calgary BC game and yeah. Edmonton and Saskatchewan games are up right now. I imagine it'll come back a little bit later on and who knows? I mean, whether that gets to be a pick em. I did not just out of principle. I did not bet for the bombers to lose the, uh, the Alouettes were three to one to win the game uh, up until just a few minutes ago. So shout out to anyone that jumped on that mm -hmm. as soon as they got the news, people with keen eyes paying attention um, and Ed Tate bombers tweeted out, Hedge coach, just in the last hour, Mike O'Shea confirms that Sean McGuire will start this week versus the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, I'd say by Friday's show, we'll have a little bit more information on exactly uh, any other players that might be um, getting some time off for, uh, for the game on the weekend. Uh, because, of course, I don't think anyone wants to see a repeat of 2001. 
And what's interesting about this dream, and have a, it'll depend on what happens this weekend, um, because BC is up against it. They're just about eliminated. Um, if they lose a game or Calgary wins a game, it's over for the British Columbia Lions. However, BC is hosting Calgary. Um, just looking right now at the cool bet lines, BC is a two-point underdog at home to, at home against Calgary. If BC is able to win that game, they then play the lowly Elks in the final week of the season while Calgary plays the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I think it's pretty clear that with Maguire starting this game, Zach Caleros will probably be in and the Bombers will be looking to win and finish on a high note heading into their bye in the West Final. Which means that Calgary better get the job done this weekend against the BC Lions or else they're going to have to beat the best team in the league just to be in the playoffs. Uh, and you'd have to assume that BC, if they can get this win, will at least be able to beat Edmonton. Um, all this is good news for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders who simply need to beat the Elks um, to uh, pretty much ice their home date for the uh, playoffs going forward. So it is going to be a real interesting weekend in the Canadian Football League. And I'll tell you what, for Friday's show, Reem, we're going to have a great segment talking football. Might get to a little bit of NFL. Uh, but we will talk about Bombers as well as the entire landscape going into this crucial week of the regular season with one of the best guys we've had to talk about the three-down game. And that, of course, is Marshall Ferguson from Out in the Hammer. Yeah, and uh, just going on tomorrow, uh, sorry, Saturday's game with the Bombers, uh, Ted Wyman has been tweeting out comments from Mike O'Shea. They said about Sean McGuire, we've liked him for a couple years now. We think he can step on the field. We believe he can help us win football games. He's a pro. He comes in every day and puts in the work. When he steps on the field, he's got good command of the offense. He throws the ball well. He's always prepared. It's a good opportunity for him. And uh, Ted adding that he's not expecting Kolaris to even be on the roster. And if any other quarterback is going to get reps, it's going to be third string Drew Brown. So, so, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I have no idea. I'm, you know, I would go and rush to the sports book if it's not down to bet on the Owls plus the points. But, uh, you know, we know that the Bombers' defense is solid, and I guess we'll have to wait and see who's playing. But that game, you're right, the game that we should be watching is this Calgary-BC game. And BC has been not good since uh, the Bombers shut them out. Actually, since the first time they played the Bombers and Lucky Whitehead got Yeah, the 30-3 to the three game ended their pretty much season. They've lost six in a row. And they were playing great heading into that. Mike Riley had looked good. Lucky Whitehead gets hurt, and I think he had a better game last game. But BC just... Hasn't been the same team, and that's what happens when you play the Bombers because I don't think the Riders have been the same team either since losing to um, Cody Fajardo. Like I don't think he's leading you, uh, you know, leading you to a Grey Cup. I don't think he's that that quarterback. Sorry, Riders fans, but they are they're favored by eleven points against Edmonton. But Edmonton, but that's just because they're playing Edmonton. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's looking like it's in the Bombership, but I agree. Calgary, they're coming on. Uh, I think didn't they sign Reggie Bagleton this week, and they've signed uh, Trey Roberson, so they're getting some dudes back. They're playing well. I agree. Calgary is now. You know, I was laughing at Calgary early on in the season, but uh, they're proving me wrong here the last couple weeks. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think it would be great for the league and the intrigue for BC to win this game and have it be a meaningful game in the final week for both BC and for Calgary and Calgary would be playing against Winnipeg, um, you know, as the guy that has the Zach Caleros prop that now has to realize that this 170-yard cushion that he's got is going to evaporate probably over the course of the weekend. 
wouldn't be the worst thing for BC to lose. And then maybe Nathan Rourke will get a start in the final game of the season and Zach can get back in and actually win the passing title. That'll be something that I'll probably be paying attention to much more than the average fan. Um, but honestly, cannot you know dispute this decision by Mike O'Shea. He would get killed if something happened to his starting quarterback in this you know a meaningless game, basically traveling out to Montreal. And he said he wants to play. He wants to be out there with his teammates. These guys are football players, but I think they all realize in the back of their head that what's most important is being at their best on the fifth of December for the West Final. Book their ticket to Hamilton and get the job done and defend the cup and keep it here in Winnipeg. And speaking of that, Remo, let's talk about this. Shout out to Paul Friesen. I was going to talk about this today, but Paul did a great job in the sun uh, of talking about a very unique situation when it comes to the Bombers, Bob Irving's final game calling the blue and gold for CJOB and this season. Um, Rewind a little bit to 2019. It had been 29 years since the Bombers had won the Grey Cup. Bombers finally get there. And um, TSN, being the national uh, rights holder for both television and radio, had the rights to the game. And we had a station at that time. I believe Rod Black did the call. Um, but because of that, and I know it was, I mean, listen, I heard about it. A lot of Bomber fans weren't pleased. I mean, Bob Irving and that call on OB is synonymous with bomber football and has been since well even before he started calling the games in 1973 so i mean it wasn't a popular decision to have knuckles not calling the game and i'm sure it was difficult for him after all the hard work that he'd been put in and you know what everyone had been through in this club to not be able to do that but he was of course there emceed the celebration and was a huge huge part of that bomber victory and everything it took to get there well fast forward to this year we now know that Knuckles is calling his final game this season. Right now, it's scheduled to be that West final because as the local radio rights holder, that is what CJOB has the rights to. TSN will presumably have, and there hasn't even been a guarantee that it'll be a radio call. I mean, considering what they've done to the TSN radio brand throughout the country, which is essentially mothball it in half the country and forget about it in others, um, I'm not really too sure what they have committed to that. And, you know, from the article with Paul Friesen, that's not even clear either. But the bottom line is that as of right now, CJOB doesn't have the rights to broadcast the Great Cup. If the Bombers win this game, common sense has to prevail. Uh, there is no TSN radio station. I mean, I guess they could put on that joke of a station that, you know, is on the 1290 dial. Um, but... Bob Irving's got to be calling this game. And I'm not sure whether the CFL would want more money from OB. I mean, that's, again, above my pay grade. But the bottom line is, if the Bombers win this game, um, this game should be called by Bob Irving. And it shouldn't handle, I mean, the TSN can do whatever the heck they want that they paid for. Uh, but there's no plans to have it on, as far as we know, in Winnipeg right now. And it would just be an absolute shame. So Randy Ambrosi and Paul Friesen, as I said, check out The Sun. His piece does a great job of outlining the situation, the changes that have happened since 2019, where we are at right now, and why it is the right thing to do. Um, and I think from TSN standpoint, that has, let's face it, rubbed a lot of people wrong in this market, the fans and the consumers of what was the station and a lot of their products. I think they'd probably go a long way with people here in Winnipeg and Manitoba if they um, made a little bit of ex an exception or allowed Bob Irving and OB to broadcast that game one time only 
as Bob finishes his Hall of Fame career. Um, I tweeted this out earlier, and I know that everyone involved with the football team and probably Bob himself and everyone doesn't want to talk too much about this because the first thing that needs to happen is the Bombers need to win that game on December 5th. And there's nothing worse. A lot of people that are superstitious in sports about, you know, talking about a win before it happens. But I hope sincerely that for Andy Ambrosi, the tall foreheads at TSN, who's ever involved in the decision-making can come together and agree that if the Bombers win that game, Bob will be able to call that game because um, that would be the right thing to do. And I'll tell you what, Reem, after nearly 50 years calling Blue Bomber football, after all of those lean years and the 29-year drought, winning the Grey Cup, not being able to call the game, missing a season, coming back right now, I could not think of a more appropriate way to send off a man synonymous with Blue Bomber football than getting a chance to call that Grey Cup and hopefully finishing it with a final call that the Grey Cup stays in Winnipeg. I'm going to be honest. like I, I don't think that it will happen. I agree. That is the right thing to do but let me guess you're saying that you think that the the actually i'm not even gonna say <laughs> i look i don't i think that they're gonna put the game on uh on the comedy station if they decide to do a national broadcast no if they don't do a national broadcast of the gray cup on radio like they've done in the past then absolutely cjob should be able to to do it but i mean we'll see maybe they do decide to do the broadcast anyways so uh, he doesn't get the status. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into anything. Yeah, we'll, well, we'll see. I, 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 I understand your feeling. <laughs> I'll just say this. I would be the right thing to do to let Bob Irving call the game if the Bombers were in the Grey Cup on CJOB because there is no all-sports radio station in Winnipeg anymore. TSN doesn't care about radio in Winnipeg. I think we all know that. Yes. So, I mean... It's pretty clear that this is the right thing yeah. to do. And again, I don't want to get too much. This is the same reason why I didn't go rang over what was going to go on in the fifth with the schedule of the game. Is you can't assume that anyone is going to be in right. that game until Let's it get happens. There. Let's get there so, before we start raising. But it's a important. Stink. But Frizo, Freezer did a great job in putting that out mm -hmm. right now because it is like that's Let's not get an easy thing just to turn around in a day. So this needs to be kind of it needs yeah. to be thought of and discussed. Uh, not for Bob, mm -hmm. but basically. The uh, the bosses at OB, um, and I think the most influential guy in all of this um, probably is going to be Wade Miller. And I'll say one thing about Wade. He's a guy that gets things done. Um, and I, I again, I commend the league. I commend the Bombers. I commend the Jets for the way that they have worked together to create a schedule that originally wasn't on the table. We were going to have a football game at 3.30. We were going to have the Jets and Leafs starting at 6 o'clock, which would probably be right during the fourth quarter of that football game. Um, now they've come together. The football game's at 3, the hockey game's at 7, and this could be one of the great sports days that we've had in decades in the city of Winnipeg. Um, you know, we're... You know, Bombers hadn't been there. They got there in 2019. Before that, 2011, Jets had just come back. And before that, you had 15 years without NHL hockey. And needless to say, 15 years without the Bombers winning a great cup. So uh, my fingers are crossed that common sense will prevail on this. I don't think there's a ton of money involved in it. I mean, honestly, it's about, I mean, these companies are very territorial about rights. And 
And you know what? In, in the past, they've been competitors. And I get that, you know, they were button heads on all of that. And we sometimes got sucked into it, unbeknownst to uh, to maybe ours. But TSN's done. Like the, ra the sports radio is dead as far as a full 24 hour station. Um, that station is, well, it is a joke in many ways right now. There's nothing on it with the exception of ice broadcast. Shout out to Kevin O and, and Munzee for, uh, for doing those games there. So, um, I don't know. I think we all, we all got the point. Bob should be doing that game. First things first, Bombers get the job done on the 5th of December. And hopefully the people that can make this happen are working on it behind the scenes because that's the way that it, uh, that it should happen. Uh, all right, let's get to these cool vet lines. We mentioned there's three games tonight. Uh, just a quick update. Let's do a refresh. Have they reposted the game now that we know that Sean McGuire is the Bombers starting quarterback? Uh, we have not. So TBA on what the new line is. But if you watched the lock shop yesterday, I hope you get on, got in on uh, Montreal plus eight because I think that's looking pretty good right now. Although I'd love to be wrong. Love to see McGuire go out and take care of the Owls and the Bombers would have... Well, it would not be a QB controversy, but I think a lot of people would be pretty confident that God forbid something happened to Zach Caleros. We've seen a guy that's actually had some reps and able to do a pretty good job. But as I mentioned, just three games tonight in the NHL. Uh, the Leafs are minus 139. Flyers plus 117 is a home dog. Leafs coming off that loss to the uh, LA Kings at home, 5-1. Central Division matchup, Stars at home, Minus 145 favorite against the Nashville Predators at plus 123. And the Minnesota Wild are minus 217 favorites on the road against the hapless Arizona Coyotes. Coyotes plus 180 to get a win at home. And just by the way, we're here, we do have some Stanley Cup uh, bets up right now. Despite their start of the season, the Avalanche still the favorite at plus 500. The Panthers are now five and a half to one. The Leafs and Oilers are nine to one. Where are the Jets now? No, Jets 30 to one right now. They're with the Calgary Flames. Caps, Blues at 27. Pittsburgh at 23. Islanders at 20. Wild at 17. Boston at 15. Vegas 13 to one. Lightning 11 to one. That's probably about as low as a number to get on the Lightning all season. And where are the Carolina Hurricanes? I'm missing the Canes here, Remus. I don't see them. They are on the off list. the board for some reason. So uh, they're you can off bet the board, on every yeah. team with the exception of Carolina right now. Uh, I'm sure that'll get fixed up a little bit later on. Um, but the other thing I was mentioning this earlier, we've got odds for the Olympic trials and the women's winner outright. And this number has changed already since it launched earlier today. Uh, Jennifer Jones was plus 585. Rachel Holman was five to one. Carrie Anderson was four to one. And the hottest team in women's curling in Canada, East St. Paul's Tracy Fleury, which, I mean, she's been so good, but has sort of been an afterthought at times behind Jen Jones and Carrie Einerson. Not anymore. Tracy Fleury's rink is the favorite right now. And there's obviously been a ton of money that's jumped in on her because just from earlier today when it was plus 235, now plus 185 for the Flurry rink. And Carrie Einerson's team, which was four to one, down to almost three to one at plus 315, and a lot of steam coming in on Holman. It does seem like all of the money that's come in has been on those top three teams, um, which has meant Jen Jones, Laura Walker, Kelsey Rock, the other team 
have all been inflated quite a bit. So if you like the long shots, now's a good time to get in. Uh, we'll see whether these numbers sort of straighten out. Meanwhile, on the men's side of things for you curling fans, Brad Gushu is the favorite at plus 160. Brad Jacobs is second at plus 320. Kevin Cooey, former Olympian, is four to one. Brendan Botcher is plus 575. I don't mind Botcher. Um, but again, it's all about what's been happening lately. And of course, Winnipeg's Matty Dunstone um, skipping his rink, and it's not really a territorial rink, but you know, he plays with a bunch of guys from Saskatchewan. They're nine to one. Mike McEwen, proudly supported by our sponsor, Princess Auto, is at 12 to one. We'll be pulling for Mike and we'll be pulling for Gunner, who got in on one of those last chance qualifiers. He's at 22 to one. John Epping, a cool bet team, plus 1750. And Tanner Horgan at 3,200. Uh, there's all sorts of you can bet men's top three, you can bet women's top three, as well as uh, here's a great bet that we should probably jump on right now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Province to win the women's trials. Manitoba minus 179. And essentially that's a bet on Flurry, Einerson, or Jen Jones, three of the top four teams. Essentially, you're fading Rachel Holman right now. Holman, you can get plus 245 along with McCarville and Harrison, but I think you're much better off just betting Holman at plus 360 than including those others. Plus 480 on Alberta with four teams. Um, and Manitoba, you can essentially get a combo bet on McEwen and Gunlickson at plus 850. So there you go. All the numbers are up at Cool Bet Canada. If you haven't bet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. And uh, let's hammer that minus 179 and uh, get a Manitoban to the Olympics representing on the women's side and maybe even a much bigger number at plus 850 for the men's. All right, before we go, we've had a great hockey talk today with Murata Tesh, with Dave Poulin, spent some time talking about the bomber situation, but let's get the latest from head coach Paul Maurice going into Thursday's game against the San Jose Sharks. He spoke after practice today. Let's hear a little bit of that right now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Winnipeg Jets head coach, Paul Maurice. Paul, what's the latest on the guys you missed? Uh, so Shave was good. He got through the game and uh, didn't have... Uh, he's good. We just want to give him a little more healing time. Uh, Nicky's under the weather, but he's not in the protocol. Um, Stas is better today, and, and we'll just kind of see how that's the day to day. If he throws his boot on tomorrow and he feels like he can go, we'd let him go. We'll just wait. That's everybody, right? Uh, Adam Lowry, you know, we, we talked about guys like Matt Perot, we talked about guys like Andrew Pop moving from center onto the wing and what advantages that can have. What advantages do you, do you see in Adam playing on the wing? What do you hope to see from him, maybe with some freedom, if you will? Um, and on the forecheck heavier, uh, lets that line play against then all different kinds, not just speed, but they can play against the size built line, size built pair of defense, and that draws heavy fire, right? If you can pull uh, Pareko on most shifts, that means that Cal Connor and uh, Doobie don't have to, so they, they can draw some heavy fire. A left handed face off man for offensive and defensive draws, so if they get to you know, I, I've got a, a natural side on the D zones as well with that line. I know you've got them at home here. Are 
are you anticipating teams dealing with you differently on the road when they get last change, just given you know the makeup of the lines you have currently have? I almost feel like uh, we haven't had them enough, right? So Shafe and Wheels haven't been in, uh, to see it on the road enough. Uh, but there's a decision there because just Kyle's numbers alone are going to make you think about whether you need to try to put the checkers there. Um, so what we felt, and we almost agreed to it last night, there was very little line matching last night. Right? So we had our fourth out against O'Reilly a couple few times, and they did as well. Both teams pretty comfortable in the structure of their line, so they—they, they, I didn't feel there was a heavy match, and I wasn't trying to find one. It was left and right hand draws. It was—it was trying to keep your bench at the right pace, right, get the right rhythm. So we'll see. I guess is a better way to answer that because we just haven't been on the road enough to know. Yeah, I was asking you to kind of look into the future. There is a difficult one, but I switching to Neil Pionk. Seems like this guy is just revealing new things about him every season. I don't know if it's a, a confidence thing. I don't know if it's an execution thing, whether it's a points, because it's not new that he's scoring points. He was getting points in previous years, but it almost feels like he's getting points in different ways. This year. I would agree with that. So a lot of power play points, maybe on his big point year. So we, when Neil came here, it was, it was really his, almost his first full year in the NHL, right? He had played with the Rangers, but then he had gotten injured at the All-Star break, and after that, he didn't play a whole heck of a lot. Um... So I would say that we are still learning about him as well, right? There's no ceiling there. He's, you know, hyper competitive defensively. We play a physical game, and he's um, what what you would, I mean, to describe him now is he was an exceptional all-around defenseman because he can his defensive game is good enough to call him a very good defender, and his points say that he's he's an offensive producer. New look defense this off season. Was there something about Dylan's game? that you felt fit with Neil specifically, or, or is there... Could match speed, right, that we could... And, it, and it's the pair of them, it's it's Nate coming in as well. Um, you've got, it's the idea, you've got a, you know, a pair that maybe you want to play against the other team's speed some night, there's a play that you want, if they've got a heavier line, you'd play the other pair. It doesn't always work out that way, and you and you don't have to be married to it, because you don't have to hide them against the other idea, right? So those, the, the heavy pair there can play against a speed pair. And Morrissey and, and Schmidt can take some size too. They, they can handle a lot. Paul, is that Pionki and Pirouette for want of a better nice. name? Uh, a high risk play, or is that just a really smart play made by a guy who knows that when the right time to execute? You or I do it, it's a very high risk play. <laughs> but you know, I said it last night, and there's some truth to it. Um, you give, I give those guys lots of room, the players that aren't casual in their game ever, to make a play like that. <clears throat> because he's not... I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily see the risk to it. He had full control of the puck, and he's a very strong skater. So I don't, I don't think that... I can't give you an example of another player doing it where I would say I don't want him to do it because nobody needs to read that, right? Or at least in our room. But... No, when you get a guy that plays that hard, and I would, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I like that confidence. I'd rather see, I'd rather have that conversation, and I, and I won't with Neil. Hey, maybe we've got to cut back on a couple of those. Then, you know, you, you can do more. Let's get going. Let's, let's try some things. But there's no casualness in that man's game. So that play wasn't casual to him. He, he doesn't play on the outside. He plays on the inside. He, he does all hard things. So he thought he could pull it off. Go get it. Convincing that he's not holding Blake and Mark back from scoring points. 
Well, geez, just show them the video from today. And, and uh, yeah, there's enough offense there. And they know that because Blake will have told them that, right? That, uh, no, I, I'm on each line now, we have a player maybe whose main role isn't point production. And I mean, I, so the two periods, those last two periods that we played last night against a good team were some of our best offensive production. And, and it looks slightly different, and we want to get to that, right? So Adam will go to the net, and he'll stay net front, and Mark and Blake can use that, right? So it doesn't have to be them all the time. Uh, or we don't have plan on the outside all the time. We're, we're, we're going to get Svechnikov to get to the net, and, uh, and Andrew will get to the net on that line. So at each line, we'll have somebody to go hard to the net. Neil aside, and not naming any players, what's that conversation like when someone makes those plays and you don't want them making those plays? It depends. If it's a one-off, it'll make the video. And we might say something like, maybe not so much that play. Maybe that's not the best uh, use of our gifts. Uh, if it's... Uh, that, that, but that, that play with the player not Neil Pionk is going to be in isolation. Because if it's not, then you would have seen it somehow in all parts of the game. Because for me, that I that I would label that casual. You, know, you guys won't remember this, but we had a young player that did a spinorama just inside our blue line for absolutely no reason about four or five years ago against the Boston Bruins, and that was his last game with, before he went to enjoy his game in the minors for a very long time. So that conversation is a little bit different. I, I remember the play. We hear a lot about the Islanders and the St. Louis Blues feeling comfortable in the defensive zone. What would you say your level of comfort as a team is in the defensive zone? I think it's pretty solid right now. I would the first thing I would say is we aren't in our end very much, right? So we would be second, I believe, for opposition possession time. So I'm not talking about the puck in our end; it has to be possessed by them. So we're, we're quite a bit better. Just just on volume alone, we're quite a bit stronger now. I, I've liked since we've come home. I think I've liked our game better. It's starting to build. Um, I think our defensive, and boy, there's a lot of analytics out there. Our defensive metrics right now are better than our offensive metrics. On the ones that, you know, we've got some areas that we will always be challenged to be good at, but we're getting better at. But our exits and our zone time right now are very strong. Now that you had a chance to sleep on it, Paul, uh, I know you made reference to it last night about uh, considering the idea of maybe going back to three forwards. Uh, for overtime, uh, do you feel any different about that today, or will that be a situational thing on how you feel about that particular game? Part of it was the three forwards because we had run Connor, Scheife, and Wheeler for so long together. There's a a real good fit with that. So the question will be: Do I leave him there? Or do I put Nick Ehlers up on the left with Scheife and Wheeler, and then just you know, there's a great chemistry between Doobie and Casey. Now I'm so I'm not as sure what so. Because I've got the lines stretched. Last year I had two offensive lines and checking line. Boom, out they go. And they've been playing together and they're playing off each other and it's all good. Right now I'd have to piece three lines together to do that. I'm not really sure. I love it. All right, there's the coach, Paul Maurice. Some interesting stuff. And shout out to Kelly Moore. Uh, the Pionkian pirouette was an absolute masterclass. Uh, there was the Savardian spinorama. 
this is the 2021 version of that. That was uh, <laughs> that was some great stuff. Um, so yeah, Jets and San Jose Sharks Thursday night. Uh, again, we won't be doing a show on that, but certainly we've got some great content for everyone to listen to with both Marat and Dave Poulin heading into the game. And uh, we're going to have a big, big show on Friday, including, of course, a marble race. Ken Weeb's going to join us. Marshall Ferguson. We'll talk Moose and Cole Perfetti season with Jacob Stoller. Looking forward to all of that. Um, but I know you were talking about there was a big milestone last night. Uh, Blake Wheeler, 700 points. Got a very nice standing ovation. Little Wheeler chant going last night. Um, you know, it's for whatever reason, become a bit of a lightning rod with a small percentage of Jets fans. But uh, I think certainly the ones that are buying tickets and showing up at games uh, showed their appreciation for the captain last night. That was nice to see. I thought he had a strong game along with Mark Shifley. They could have, he could be at 702 or 703 if it wasn't for that damn Jordan Bennington. Sorry, I thought he had one of his stronger games. Uh, the captain, 700 points with the Winnipeg Jets thrashers franchise um sorry i'm a bit distracted Hus. i was googling to see who that player paul maurice was referring to that did a spinorama against the bruins in his own end and was sent to the minors i'm trying to figure it out um we have some oh, i i've I, I put i've put word out to one ken weeb who yeah. is uh, one of my go-to guys and yeah. uh, he says he believes it was nick patan it was Nick Patan. Uh, oh, I need oh, to, fi I need to gonna, find this That's going to set a whole people off in the city. I need, to, I need to. One spinorama and he's banished to the minors. <laughs> I got to find the spinorama. But yeah, we're talking about Blake Wheeler. Nice moment. Uh, acknowledged 700 points. I mean, he's been here since day one with the Jets 2.0. I mean, he didn't have too many games with the Thrashers. But 700 points. I mean, he's approaching uh, one of the all-time, you know, great, not just Winnipeg Jets uh, 2.0. But 1.0 as well. And if you know me, um, I hope when he, you know, when he retires or something, I, in the upcoming years, once we've, you know, fully moved on, that we can just merge the Jets 2.0 history with the Jets 1.0 history, and Phoenix can go on their own. I mean, we're wearing the Heritage jerseys last night. We're celebrating the history. Yet, technically, the history. Is in here. Ilya Kovalchuk, franchise goal yeah. scoring leader. And uh yeah, yeah, and the rookie goal scoring record is Kovalchuk as well. It's silly. Let's there's a move, few guys that have done on. a good job online. You can see the Winnipeg People Jets do stats. It. That that's the official that's the mm, official book here. according to WST. I will tell you that. Here, and hey, speaking of yeah. heritage, while you pull that up, um how about that, Reem? How can I bring this up? Oh, here, I'll show you. Here, there it is. There we go. Yeah, it's nice the keychain. Nice little keychain from last night, mm -hmm. and a very nice touch, by the way, Jets. That looks Jets nice. Heritage zero zero one zero, of course, honoring that the late history. great Dale Howardchuck. Yeah, awesome to see his uh, image there at the building last night. And uh, yeah. tell you what, they were the better team on the ice for sixty minutes. Not so much in OT. Didn't get the two points, but uh, man, they were a good-looking team last night. Those unis, the pants, everything, so sweet. It's going to be a uh, going to be a pleasure to watch them wear those 13 more times this season and uh, who knows how many times we might see them in the playoffs fingers crossed that the team gets there and we do have playoff hockey here next yeah, season i will say the game production sorry i'll bring the screen the game production was so well done with the heritage theme i love that on ice projection when they did the intros it was super cool if you want to see what it looked like in the building it's on our instagram story 
uh, get there before it expires. Tonight, give us a follow on Instagram Sports Talk WPG. The keychain, very cool. I do want to bring up the Winnipeg Jets all-time player list. Thanks to Hockey DB, you can do this. I know Blake Wheeler had 700 points as a Jet slash Thrasher. He's got 683 as a Jet. That's third all-time. He's a couple behind Thomas Steen and uh, Dale Howardchuk, the all-time point leader. Uh, Mark Scheifele's up there. He's got 510 points as a Winnipeg Jet. Um, he's about to pass Paul McLean pretty soon for fourth all-time. So I like looking at this. There are people who do the Winnipeg NHL history. I know Stat Center does a good job of that, but I think we need to promote promote uh, this uh, more. Well, but. certainly. And here, you know what? Here's another milestone that is coming. And let me just do a countdown live on the program. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hopefully this is going to be a home game into December. Hmm. Oh, wow. The December 5th game against the Leafs, assuming that Wheeler doesn't miss any more games, hmm. he will be Mr. 1000. 1,000 games 1,000 games in the National Hockey League Whoa. against the Leafs. What a day that would be. Well, we'll uh, get ready. Fingers crossed that you know he'll stay healthy um, because that would be... Uh, we'll always remember that day. Hopefully the Bombers punching their ticket to the Grey Cup and then moving on down for uh, a game against the Leafs, so, which uh, will be with 9.88 in the books, 12 more games from then. December 5th against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, congratulations cool. to Wheeler on 700. And um, man, 1,000. We remember last year, and it's sort of amazing when you think about Paul Stastny, his career, everything that happened with uh, for his 1,000th game last season. Um, but, you know, no fans or anything like that this year. Um, certainly with Blake Wheeler, you know, being a guy that has been a mainstay on this club since they got to Winnipeg in 2011 would be a shame if it happened anywhere other than Canada Life Centre even if that game probably will have a few thousand Maple Leafs fans, to say the least, uh, especially with the Bomber game that day. That is um, that is pretty cool. And yeah, Blake Wheeler, I mean, he's played, he's been an Iron Man. I mean, not technically, but he's. you look at his last, you know, aside from, uh, you know, last year and this year, he basically played every game. Um, even last year, he played, still played most of them. You know, I mean, he was hurt. But um, 82, so many seasons of 82, uh, so a thousand games, an incredible accomplishment. That would be great. That be, you know, we had the ceremony last year was awesome. Uh, that would be great to see here. Um, for Blake Wheeler, December fifth, us count counting down now. Counting down. I'm glad we did that. That is going to make that day even more special. And uh, hopefully the Jets can uh, first things first. Let's get a win uh, against the Sharks Thursday night. We'll be back on Friday. We'll discuss it with Ken Weave. We'll get ready for the weekend in the Canadian Football League and a little NFL with Marshall Ferguson. Uh, we'll talk about Cole Perfetti in the American Hockey League and the Manitoba Moose with Jacob Stoller. And, uh, of course, we'll get you ready for the weekend as well when it comes to uh, the lines and whatnot with Cool Bet Canada. Um, and then uh, get into it and finish it off with a big marble race. Another hoodie to give away with WST and Canadian Club. Uh, I do believe the uh, the rye stock is still full, so we'll have an I Love Rye package to give away, maybe even a DQ ice cream cake as well. Uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. Again, if you missed the start of the program, tomorrow, uh, you know, with Remembrance Day services happening, uh, we figured it'd be appropriate not to do a show tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is about remembering the incredible sacrifices of those that have come before us. Um, and for sports fans, I would recommend... 
Um, you know, spend a little bit of time online reading about the incredible Winnipeg Falcons, the former Olympic gold medalists, a bunch of, uh, you know, Icelanders from north of the city and came to Winnipeg, um, fought in the war, lost a few of their comrades and then came back and won gold for Canada at the Olympics. And another one I was reading about today, Joseph Keeper um, from Norway House, was in a residential school, became the fastest man in Canada, finished fourth at the Olympics. Um, Sport Manitoba and the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame have some really interesting pieces on those and others uh, that both excelled in the sports world, but also, first and foremost, were Canadian heroes protecting our freedom. Um, tomorrow, that's what it is about. We'll be back on Friday to get you ready to uh, have a big, big weekend, uh, recap the Sharks game, and talk about Saturday night at Canada Life Center with the Jets taking on the Los Angeles Kings. And of course, the Bombers and Sean McGuire starting in the place of Zach Caleros, who will take a seat and likely won't even make the trip to Montreal as the uh, Bombers get ready for the 5th of December, which, as we just mentioned, is going to be a huge day. Potentially 1,000 for Blake Wheeler. Jets and Leafs is always a big one. But 3 p.m., the game that we are counting down right now, even with the snow outside, Bombers and the winner of the West Semi for a trip to the Grey Cup in Hamilton on December 12th. Don't forget, head to Coolbet Canada on Twitter. Get the details for uh, how you can make a $10 bet on the CFL and win tickets to the big game in Hamilton and much more. In the meantime, everyone, thanks to our sponsors, Vita Health Fresh Market, our newest sponsor on board, our friends at Culligan Water, Donnie and the guys over at Manitoba Battery, of course, Royal Sports, Greg and Gerald, Trevor and Not Auto Corp, uh, Dustin and the gang over at Little Brown Jug Brewing, everybody at Princess Auto, and uh, especially our curlers. Cannot wait for that curling tournament to represent Canada at the Olympics. And we're at Boston Pizza, especially our friends at Boston Pizza City Place. Great to see them last night. Nick and Nikki DQ, the Canadian Club Gang, and Cool Bet Canada. Folks, have a great one. We will talk to you on Friday afternoon, 1 p.m. So much to pack into Friday's show and a big marble race. Don't miss it. Thanks for being with us. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out if you're with us on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed. And we'll see you Friday on WST. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.